We're good, we're good. What's up, guys? How's it going? Hope you're having a fantastic morning, evening, afternoon, wherever you're coming from. And I bring with you a handsome cast of guests here for a no doubt spicy discussion that's about to ensue. Uh, so we're going to get right into it for the great Smurf debate where we'll be talking about Smurfing, unranked GMs, competitive ego, mindsets needed for climbing, and uh, just the general competitive mode of Overwatch because I have with me three coaches of uh, all different backgrounds. So let me introduce them. Starting in the bottom right, my man, long-time collaborator, but first time on the podcast, uh, former coach of the London Spitfire, it is Spilo. Spilo House, what's going, man? Go on. Appreciate you having me. Great to have you on. Uh, people have been begging me to get you on for a while, so I'm flat glad we could finally make it happen. Appreciate uh, it. In the bottom left, we have frequent rank one uh, support and frequently handsome fellow, Awkward. Awkward, what's up? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me, Zvivi. Appreciate it. Awesome. And in the top left, another coach, the man who wrote the manifesto on goats. Uh, we have Io Stux. Io Stux, what's up, man? Yes, my, my finest work. I'm really happy to be here. Great. Awesome. I'm happy to have all you guys here. I won't say I'm just changing a title. I realize I effed up on but yeah i mean there's been some uh the inspiration for this podcast came from uh awkward in the bottom left here who, who's been dropping some interesting interesting takes on twitter so i saw io stucks disagreeing and i was like you know what this would make a great discussion point because two people whose opinions i really respect are having a disagreement and that's uh not a place for twitter to be that's a place for some conversation to come in uh so that's where we're gonna come in i'm gonna read out awkward's tweet that sparked this whole thing and we've got a couple other takes as well uh, and then I'm going to have Awkward uh, kind of discuss and elaborate on that stance. And then we'll go from there. So the tweet that started this all, the tweet that launched a thousand ships and a thousand replies in my Twitter mentions. Uh, Awkward says, wait, not this one. Let's start with this one. The average player will complain when there's a smurf on the enemy team, while a great player will be excited to play against someone who is better. Challenges are a necessity for learning and self-improvement. Accept them and climb the ladder or complain and stay in plat. So, Awkward, what do you think? Expand on that and, and kind of give us your thoughts behind that original tweet. Well, okay. I believe that in order to be better at anything, you have to face challenges. You have to play, play against better players at whatever you're trying to do. If you were swimming, uh, you'd like to practice harder drills to get better. If you're playing video games, you'd like to play against players that are higher ranked than you. If you're boxing, you would like to face people in the ring that are better than you so you can learn. That's what sparring is for. Now, a lot of people complain as why they lose is because of Smurfs. And I argue that you can learn a lot about players that you play against. You might get shit stomped, sure, but there's a lot that you can learn from it. That's the main point. Now, this can go a lot of ways where I can speak for hours about this, but if you'd like me to argue a point, you have to be specific on what it is that you disagree. Okay, so there's there's our initial setup that, you know, okay, you got to spar against someone who's better than you to learn. That's how improvement comes. Now, uh, yeah, Io Stucks out there in the top left was uh, disagreeing in the Twitter, in the Twitter quote retweets in the reply. So Io Stucks, what kind of did you disagree with fundamentally on this take? So first of all, I 100% agree that if you want to get better, you, you have to challenge yourself, right? The perspective that I'm taking, I'm, I'm kind of trying to find like the, the other side to things, is that for some people, right, um, they're not necessarily complaining that like, like if someone is saying, oh, the reason why I'm in platinum and I can't climb the Smurfs, that's obviously not true, right? Um, but if someone is saying, oh, the reason I am not having as much fun 
is because I'm playing against a Smurf. I think that's like a very valid opinion to have, to be able to say, I just don't enjoy getting stomped on by a Smurf. Um, and to kind of accept that maybe some people who play ranked, they, you know, kind of want to balance improving on one side, but also just having fun at the game. Right. And of course, I mean, I, for me personally, when I played the game and I got, I got a chance to play against a high level player or a Smurf, I, I cherish that. I, I really like that. Um, but for example, recently with Overwatch 2, I've started playing with my friends again. Um, and, and, and sometimes, you know, the number one complaint that they have is that sometimes it just feels like there's one person on the other team, uh, who goes like, you know, 50 and three, and it just doesn't feel as much fun. And, you know, of course I can tell them, well, you can try to learn from it, but that doesn't really change the fact that they, you know, they're just going to end up closing the game and then play League of Legends or something. Hmm. Okay, I'm going to let Awkward respond. I will I will let Spilo handsomely listen and take in That's and then come fine. in with a profound take in a moment. <laughs> but Awkward, uh, kind of go ahead and riff off what, what what's Iosox said there. Okay, that's a very fair point, you know, the fun aspect. If you want to have fun, in my opinion, you shouldn't queue up to competitive mode. You should play Unranked, uh, Mystery Heroes, you have a bunch of other games that you play. When you queue up into competitive mode, you have to understand that people want to win and therefore they also want to improve, right? That is the reason why people don't enjoy when people are throwing because inherently the game is just boring that way and nobody improves nobody has nobody has fun because there's just it's just a waste of time of everybody's time now if you'd like to if you'd like to improve at the game you actually have to try your best to win and try to learn from it so i don't exactly see competitive a competitive setting as fun because when i step in the ring i don't also enjoy having uh, punch like fun having punches thrown my face right it's not very fun but it's a very good learning experience and oh, what i don't enjoy particularly is is let's say sparring in someone significantly worse than me because there's nothing that i can learn from it and you might say it might you know boost my self-esteem and ego but that's not why you should do any competitive let's say sports or any competitive modes in any video in video games if you just like to play against people that are lower than you. It just makes no sense to me. Just that, through my experience, everything I've done in my life or in video games, just to be better. I don't, my, my ego is not struck by farming some golds, for example. Mm -hmm. Okay, very interesting. I, I, I kind of, I have something I want to riff on, but I'm going to let Spilo chime in first. So Spilo, anything, anything said by awkward or io stuck there which is you know I, I think it's a very interesting philosophical idea there that what, what awkward's getting at which is like well look that's not what the comp mode is for i'm here right. to kind of try hard and challenge and go go the hardest i can and that's that's the implicit contract you sign when you're when you're playing sure. competitive sure so so i have two things i think one is i think it's really you have to be really careful about when we describe something as competitive that we're the only thing that we're trying to do is to win um, I think even awkward saying is like we're trying to improve or trying to get better. But I think the idea is that competitive ventures should still be fun uh, when at all costs or playing to win um, is what's fun for a lot of people. For example, if I'm competing in a pickup basketball game, uh, if nobody's trying and we're just screwing around, I, people aren't going to have fun, right? Maybe, maybe it's fun for some people, but I'm the type of guy like awkward who like I want to compete to win, right? That being said, there's a really important aspect I, I brought my receipts here so there's a really important study we have here uh this was done in 1908 and it basically it talks about the yerkes dodson law and what the yerkes dodson law talks about is the challenge skill balance and what that means is when we're trying to enter flow state which is the optimal state for learning 
for having fun, for improving, there has to be a very careful line between where we have, this is where my current skill is, and this is where the challenge is. So it's above where my current skill set is. So like Awkward and Iostek said, for us to actually improve, if we play at the same skill level, it's actually really hard to get better. Or like Awkward said, if you're beating up on gold players, it's almost impossible to get better, right? Um, I mean, I've done this many times when we were scrimmaging uh, a tier two team, for example, like London Spitfire, we get a cancellation, we got a scrimmage, a contenders team. The hardest thing that you can do as a coach is keep the players focused and trying to get something out of that scrimmage. Sometimes it's better to just do nothing. But then the opposite is true as well, where when you break that line, when the flow goes from the challenge is beyond my current skill set significantly, and obviously what's significantly, right? Is it a plat player in a goal lobby? Is it a diamond player in a goal lobby? It's, it's a really kind of, it's a spectrum, right? Um, but when it gets to be too significant, it gets to be so overwhelming that we know it's no longer uh, a learning process. Now, my stance on the unranked GM thing is that I think people playing in the unranked GM lobby don't get anything out of it, uh, depending on the rank. If it's a GM in a master's lobby, there's something that you can learn from that beyond just mechanics, certainly. Um, but if we have GM plat lobby, there's just simply too much. Um, I think Awkward is in, a, in an interesting position because he and a couple other of the unranked GMs I've seen, I think A10 is another one, who does a really good job for when you're in the stream, he does an excellent job elaborating exactly what he's doing. So it's not just I'm beating up on, you know, plat, diamond, whatever players. I'm repeating concepts over and over and over again that if you're watching the stream, I can then go translate and practice in my games. Awkward's always talking about um, the damage on it, the damage support mindset, right? That's a really good thing to practice, right? Now, we're not going to have his level of mechanics, but even a plat player should be practicing that mentality. Same thing with A10. When A10 goes in and dominates people in Orisa, yes, it's frustrating for the people in the lobby, and maybe there's not a whole lot to take for them because it's way above their skill level. However, if you're in his stream or watching the YouTube video, what's he talking about? He's talking about positioning, cover, 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 cover. Look at this, guys. I'm winning this fight from cover, from cover, from cover. So I see the benefit from it from if you're watching it, because what's being said, what's being coached, because Awkward and A10 aren't just players, they're also coaches as well. And they do a good job explaining what they're doing as they're doing and making it applicable for the average player. That being said, when I'm in a lobby uh, with Awkward and he's two, three ranks above me, the return on investment there just isn't there. It's simply above your skill level. Um, and there's too many things, too many factors. And this isn't even considering the fun factor. Even if you're looking to improve, Generally, there's too many things going on for you in the moment to be able to learn from that process. You're probably going to get overwhelmed, dominated, and make the experience a negative thing rather than a positive thing. Interesting. Lots of thoughts there, very eloquently put. Backed up with a 1900 study from uh, Spilo as well. So appreciate the homework being done. The coach is doing their homework. There you go, guys. Inspirational leaders. So awkward. There's, there's quite a few strands for you that for there you potentially respond. Of. Obviously, the undercurrent to all this for anyone who's maybe lacking context, awkward has done many fantastic unranked GMs, and uh, they are sometimes the source of complaint and ire amongst the community, but also clearly very popular content, very informative content, I would say. So is there anything in particular you want to respond to what has been said by Spilo? Well, there's a very good point that he's making, that the learning curve from players uh, in, with a big disparity in skill level is really hard to learn. Like a gold will not necessarily be able to learn a lot from a GM player, like facing him, right? Um, my educational content are for people that are watching rather than people that are in the game itself. But I do not believe that I genuinely 
ruined their entire game experience by being in one game and destroying them. Also, you could argue the point that even though you don't learn a lot, you can still learn something. Okay, so why did the Zen kill me? He flanked me. Okay, can I did I did I not hear him? Maybe my awareness just sucks. Maybe my headphones are broken. You can learn something. You can point a finger at least on one thing. Maybe it's a different 50 things. Sure, I'll agree on that. But a gold player can point on one thing. Why did I fuck up here? And he can fix that. Doesn't have to be 500 points. Now, also, I want to drift to, um, to another point, the previous point, where you know a lot of people in the comments were saying something like, you know, what am I going to learn from a GM widow shooting me? It's like getting in the ring with Mike Tyson. Would you do it? Well, the first thing, I risk injury and possibly death when I get in a ring with Mike Tyson. <laughs> yeah. But anyone who is slightly competitive, if you had to ch at the chance to spar with Mike Tyson with no risk of injury, every single person who is slightly competitive with an innate just wants to win or, or something, like wants to improve, he will take that chance. It's not something that it's giving to you, it's something that is earned. But a lot of people would take that opportunity, including myself. I would get in a ring with Mike Tyson if I, if I, I didn't risk getting my head smoked against the canvas and literally just go to the hospital later. But if you're just sparring, sure, no problem. Even if he's significantly better than me. Mm -hmm. Can I, I, can I yeah, go ahead, that? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, okay. So I, I think it's a good analogy, right? So the idea of getting into a ring with Mike Tyson. And you said that you risk... Um, you know, getting injured there, so the analogy isn't really applicable, but um, I think you have a very good, like, mindset for yourself, right, that's helped you improve, that's gotten you to, you to where you are, um, but what, what I do, what, what Spilo does, right, we talk to these metal rank players, we kind of, you know, it's part of our job to understand how they think, and of course, if you uh, do an unranked to GM and you play against them, you stomping on them isn't going to physically hurt them, right? But the reality is that not everyone um, has kind of adopted that mindset that you have. And I have, you know, by far the number one biggest kind of mindset related issues that, that people have is just, you know, when they get stomped on by a smurf, it just crushes their self-esteem. It's, it's, it's not fun. It just kind of makes them want to quit for the game. And the problem that I have is that ultimately... Um, I don't think anyone should should feel entitled to the the privilege of being able to stomp on others. So of course, if someone wants to play against a Smurf, I would. I, I'm gonna be honest. I would love to. If I want to just grind out ranked, you know. Honestly, if I had the money, I would pay people to just scrim with me and and just stomp me all day. But the reality is that a lot of people don't want that. And when someone goes into on a Smurf account and they play in low elo, they didn't ask those players if if they were okay with that, right? Because um, if if we say that the reason we do unranked to GM is because it's great educational content and because it's an, a learning opportunity for the people that we play with. Why not just, you know, create a custom game lobby and invite some stream viewers, you know, because then, you know, those people want to get the experience to play against a really high level player. And, you know, you play against players of a lower skill level and you can kind of showcase because that's something that that I also think is very valuable. Um, you playing in a top 500 lobby is very different from you playing in a low elo lobby because in a low elo lobby you can specifically explain hey these are the mistakes that these metal rank players do that i'm abusing this is what you can do in your games as well right so the main issue that i have isn't the idea of stomping on worse players uh, if, for, for the sake of education i just think it's important that those players should have a say in whether they're okay with that whether they want 
you know, to use their time that way. Because, of course, some people really appreciate the opportunity. And those people should be brought in into a custom game lobby. And, you know, you can use them to kind of showcase those points. I just think that if I, you know, I, I had a long work day, I want to queue for ranked. I just want, you know, the reason ranked was created in the first place in games is just to create balanced matches, right? Um, I should be able to just queue for the game and feel like I have a, a very close game. Because I think you agree here, the best... Overwatch experience by far is when you have a super close nail-biter game, like there's no huge diffs on either team, it's just super close, right down to the wire. That's, I think, what Overwatch is all about. And when you go into a game and within two minutes you kind of know, okay, sure, I could learn a thing or two from this, but I kind of know that I'm just wasting my time here, this is not going to be a win, I can't improve, you know, enough to beat this smurf within the next five minutes. I think that's just, you know, also perspective worth considering. Yeah, I think it's a very good perspective. I'm actually going to chime in here rather than make it a cast versus awkward debate. I actually have two two points that I think uh, would, would potentially work in favor of, of awkward's argument here. One is this idea of like, what is comp? Because I think we've kind of alluded to two, two different ideas here. At the start, Iosux was like, uh, actually awkward, you were like, well, you play comp because it's like you, you, you agree to try as hard as you can and win. You're here to learn and win. Um, and then ISS kind of alluded to, well, I came for balance matches. That's what I came for. I actually am going to uh, throw in an agent of chaos point, which is like there, there is no implicit contract when you sign up for comp. There's nothing that when you when you click the competitive mode, there's nothing that it says this is what it is. Some people treat comp like quick play plus. Some people are like, I don't care. I'm, I'm just playing. I don't really care that much more about winning. Some people play it like awkward where they're like, I will try super hard. I'm going to, you know, calm my brains out like it's Overwatch League. If you watch Samito play, he's like, calms like it's Overwatch League Grand Final every single time. And, you know, other people are like, well, I'm gonna, I feel like one-tricking Zenyatta today. I'm gonna one-trick Zenyatta today. Some other guy's like, well, you know, I heard this guy's good now, so I've never played a two minutes of Wrecking Ball, but I'm gonna try playing Wrecking Ball today. And I think that you could use that argument to say that for the same reason... There's no like baseline that you can all agree and therefore it is within the grounds for someone to come in and say, well, I'm here to, to do what I want to do, which is make this unranked to GM content. As long as it's, I guess the technicality would be not breaking the terms of service, right? Because that's where some people say, well, you're, if you're, let's say the bronze smurfing, the bronze to GM version of this would be against terms of service, right? It would be you're, you're, you're manipulating your SR to buy an account that shouldn't be where it is. But if you have a fresh account, the argument could quite easily be made. Well, it's not my fault that Blizzard put me in a gold lobby to start with. I'm simply playing on this fresh account. And as I go, I'm demonstrating an educational form of content. And again, this is not breaking the implicit contract of comp, which is it's different things to different people. And for me, it's it's a chance for educational content. So I'm going to let that, that idea float in the air for a second before the other idea that I kind of want to respond to. So if any of you have anything you want to you riff off, go for it. Flaw versus ethics. Mm -hmm. That's the way I look at it, anyway. And it's it's it to be to be very clear, it's not like I'm not even necessarily implying that it's super super black and white. Here's a, here's a good question for you, awkward. So you made a tweet which I really thought was great, which is like making fun of an overweight person who are generally trying or making fun of an overweight person in the gym as opposed to making fun of a lower rated player who's generally genuinely trying to improve. Right? I think that's something that everybody can agree on. But to me, I think the unranked GM is like the equivalent of going up to somebody randomly in the street, overweight, yelling "You're overweight" and walking away. Is that maybe advice that they maybe need to hear? Maybe that they, if they want or are in a position to hear, maybe it like clicks and then they do something productive with it. Yes. But more often than not, you're just going to tick somebody off. 
And to me, that's where it's like you talk about it's it's, it's just one game. Most of the players you can be playing against who play once and then you're done. But it's like the, it's the ethics of going up to a random stranger and slapping them in the face saying you're overweight and then walking away. You know, it's it, it, how much do we really get out of that? What are the chances of the odds of somebody that is actively looking? Oh, sick. I got a smurf. Hey, look at that. Just my luck. I got a smurf that I can learn from versus the odds that that person is somebody who's just playing for fun or playing even playing to improve and goes, what is this? You know, I mean, how many times have we like had games or had complaints from, from, from people in our chat or people that were trying to coach? How do I deal with Smurfs? You know, what do I do in a Smurf game? And there just isn't an, a lot of, you can learn from it, but people really get frustrated at that. And I think when it comes to finding an overall quality game experience, it can be very helpful for somebody who's looking for that. But somebody who's not looking for that, I don't see it. It, it doesn't provide as much value as it, as it could, I guess. <laughs> Oh, well, you have something to respond? Because I have yeah, a response. Yeah, yeah, I said that. Well, the first thing that you said, like, it's like walking to a, an overweight person calling no, them can, overweight. Can I actually, just, just to interject, can we change the metaphor? Uh, just, just Let's just say someone is out of shape. Can, instead of yes. just saying, you know, overweight, let's just say someone is out of shape. Fair enough. Worse you get me. someone who is out of shape and you go and say that if it takes him off, well, it probably because he's not really happy with himself. Uh, from my experience, everything that I've done great is because people were, quote unquote, bullying me a little bit. I think that it's kind of necessary to be slightly bully about, bullied about certain topics in order to change them. Because if somebody says, hey, well, you're weak, you can't fight. Well, if it takes me off, well, I might as well just go to the martial arts gym and learn how to fight, right? Or if I'm out of shape and people laugh at me, right? And I feel uncomfortable with people laughing at me, I think the best change you can make is actually hit the gym. Uh, sure, maybe they're saying it harshly, but it's the truth at the end of the day. It doesn't matter how you say it. There's it's it's pretty black and white it's either truth or false or either you are out of shape or you're in shape and it doesn't matter if people are mean about it sure the life is mean nobody said uh, that somebody with uh, like a fairy with with some rainbow is gonna say hey you're you know you might as well hit the gym you'll be stronger no people will say well we'll talk shit about you and if it ticks you off it's may maybe it's time for self-reflection and go for it like make a change about it I, I, this this analogy hits hits close to home, so I quickly want to to address this. Mm -hmm. um, so when I when I first joined um, Uprising Academy, I actually weighed two hundred and forty three pounds, and over the course of a year, I went down to one hundred and eighty. And that's not because I suddenly realized like, oh, being overweight is not as as cool as I thought it was. It's that um, a lot of people kind of tried to give me advice, you know, on like what, what I can do. And they gave me like these diets where I need to shift my entire diet around. Some people like took me to the gym and or like they, they took me running and they were running at like a super high, a fast pace. And it was just like too much for me, right? Like it was completely overwhelming. I couldn't stick to the diet. I, I, I couldn't do anything, right? And I think it's kind of the, the, the same thing here where only once I started kind of adding small lifestyle changes, you know, like substituting, you know, this type of food with a, with a different type of food, right? Just small changes and kind of easing into it that really helped me mentally with that change. And I think it's the same in, in, in Overwatch where like, you know, if, if one of my friends was overweight, for example, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't just put them on keto from one day to the next. I would tell them, well, you know, um, you can try using like a smaller bowl for breakfast, you know, like kind of a small start and then you keep progressing and you, and you keep progressing. Um, and I think that with, with 
you know, unring to GM and kind of playing against the Smurf, that is like such a dramatic, dramatic skill disparity that sure, some person are going to uh, experience that and they're going to say, wow, that really put into perspective how much more I can improve. Like that person is so good. He just single-handedly carried the game. But I'd argue that there's a lot more people who experience that and, you know, they're discouraged by it. And they say, wow, okay, you know, I, I, I knew that I wasn't amazing at the game, but apparently I'm really bad, you know? Like, do I even, do I even want to bother anymore, right? Mm-hmm. There's a simple solution, don't bother. Just, just don't bother. It's like, what you're describing is like, okay, they, they feel overwhelmed and, and they can't handle the heat or whatever. They can't learn, they just give up. It's like saying, okay, I want to be rich. Let me start my business. I start my business, it fails. Okay, give up. Let's go back. Let's go back to you know minimum wage. Not gonna be rich anymore. Well, don't be rich. Your problem, you know. You have a weak mentality. That's all I'm saying. Right. No, I'm. I'm. I'm, Of course. So I agree that you know it's not the best mentality to have. But from my experience, some people, you know, like me personally, I managed to reach you know my personal fitness goal you know, one step at a time, that approach just suited me better. I didn't have that mental fortitude, right? And I think there's so many players out there, who, you know, who, who also think that, or, you know, that approach also suits them better, right? I'm saying that some people just, just getting smacked in the face, you know, with reality is the best approach for them. But I'm saying that some people, they just improve faster when they have that balance of like, you know, having a fun, motivational experience while also being challenged, you know, having those nail-biter games and just improving one step at a time. I, I have I have two things to chime in with here. I, I kind of want to, one for and one against awkward, so it balances out nicely. One, you know, I think initially you said awkward, like, well, it's it's black and white. You're either out of shape or you're not. I actually think that's that's the stance I would disagree with because I think that's your perspective on that person. Let's say if we go back to the Overwatch because we're kind of drifting drifting a little bit from the topic here, but let's say we're, we're talking about Overwatch and you're, you're, you're looking at someone who's, who's gold. And in your POV, it's very obvious like, that person's either, either good and improving or bad and, and, and stagnating. But from that person's perspective, they might be exactly where they want to be. They might be that actually gold is where they strive to be for ages. Like they were bronze for ages and gold is success and gold is a rank they're happy being. They don't feel the need to improve. Even though, again, I understand you will say, well, why are you signed up for comp then? Why did you play comp? If you didn't want to improve, why are you playing comp and gold? But for them, they're like, I enjoyed climbing from bronze to gold. Here I am and I'm happy with this state and I'm happy just to play in gold. So I think for them, that's like a, you're almost putting your ideology on that person and expecting them to kind of match that. But on the flip side, I would argue that the analogy wasn't quite accurate in the sense that if you were doing an unranked GM, you're not necessarily slapping that person in the face of like, you are, you know, you're out of shape. You're kind of existing in a peak form and potentially, yes, you're competing against them and then you're kind of moving on. Unless you sit there in voice chat to be like, you're dog kid, I rolled you in gold, get fucked. You know, like that's that's obviously the rubbing it in their face. But I think it's more of like, a, there's a competition, it's open. One guy comes in, he's clearly way better, dominates everyone and leaves without necessarily saying anything. And at that situation, we might argue it's unethical, but is the feelings of the other people in the lobby something that, the unranked GM or let's say awkward ha- should have to worry about is that their problem considering everyone else does all kinds of BS in their ranked games anyways that other people how's may the, disagree with how's the content I think it's con- the ethics of how many people that also benefit from watching an awkward unranked GM versus the people that may have their games messed up 
That was going to be my other point. Yeah. A lot of unranked GMs, I think, are done as just like casual flex modes, won't name any names. But I think some of the GMs, Awkwards is definitely one of them where it's like, if you watch Awkwards unranked GM, there's a lot of people that are going to learn a lot from that. Um, So, you know, like I said, it's definitely not black and white for me. Right. I just, I just think, of course, it's like educational content, but the main issue, like 100%, is just that ultimately it is at the expense of other people. And ultimately, you know, if Awkward wouldn't be hurt by the fact that, you know, he was playing with a Smurf, that doesn't mean that other people can't disagree, right? There's like a lot of people, they play with a Smurf, they just don't enjoy that. And um, so I, my my, th- there used to be a time where I played like a lot of uh, a Valorant and there's this content creator, uh, Eggwick, and he makes these videos where, you know, he has like a full iron lobby and he puts like one high level player. And then if he wins, he goes up and, you know, takes people from chat who are silver and then gold. So I think that like this entire situation can just be avoided by, you know, finding people who voluntarily want to get smurfed on by you, which I, I personally don't think is that difficult to organize rather than just forcing random people in ranked to, you know, get shit on, to put I, it bluntly. I would actually disagree with that before I give Awkward, because Awkward's cooking, I see it. I actually disagree with that, because I think the whole... Because I've seen this happen a lot, where people want to see... The reason unranked GMs are popular, I, I think, is that people want to see... When people play in a game, let's say they play, they're like gold, and they play in a very like mismatched lobby, or just a very wild game, they sit there and they're like, ah, oh, dude, there's nothing I could have done to win that game. I defy someone else to come in my position and win that game on instead of me. And you see, that is I think that is truly what the unranked GM provides. It isn't... Like, we know Awkward could beat up on a bunch of gold. Like, that's obviously not for debate. Any, any GM player should, in theory, be able to beat up a bunch of volunteers in a gold lobby. That's not what people watch the unranked GM for, I think. I think people watch the unranked GM because they want to see how would you have navigated the wildness of my rank game. Not a bunch of volunteers who care enough to, to come with you and care enough to sign up and play in this game. I want you to play with the absolute shitters that I get in my game and still win that game. So I actually disagree. I don't think, I think if he did that, plus people would be like, oh, you, you know, you rigged it. There's so many ways people can undermine a volunteer organized like smurf exercise compared to I made an account, I played in your games, and I fucked him. That's how you do it. So I'm going to yes. let Awkward chime in as well. Okay, yes. I was just going just to... Yeah. Sorry, just one sentence, then I'll let you speak. Just one sentence. Um, yes, but then, you know, now the question is, is unranked to GM educational, or is it trying to prove that people can climb out of low elo? Right. It can be both, I okay. think, but yeah, Awkward. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to let Awkward talk. No, no. Super sorry. Yeah, I, I said, I think you're very correct, SVP. I think that's exactly my thoughts. People want authenticity. People always say, you know, I have shitters on my team. My tank is feeding. My other support is throwing. You wouldn't win my games. That's why I originally started, to prove. Uh, it doesn't matter what team you give me, I'll win. It doesn't matter who I play against, cheaters, smurfs, I'll win. Well, granted, I am better, but I'm going to show you what steps you can do, even though you're lower ranked than me, you don't have the same mechanics, a step-by-step solution where you could be better. Now, in terms of organizing, it might not be complicated, but people might be nervous, people might be trying harder, nobody's going to be throwing. Uh, so it's not very authentic as to the experience of players in comp or ladder where they claim they have smurfs all the time and people are throwing every game and uh, everything bad happens only to them. 
Yeah. No, no, okay. That that I I think that's that's a good point. Yes. No, no, I I I do Yeah, I think that's a fair point. Mm-hmm. I think the other and obviously this is tied very deeply with philosophy and I know Spilo. Spilo, if you got anything to chime in by the way? No. No, no I don't okay. think anything else to add. No. Cuz you've been kind of you know, you've been stewing on the philosophy as well as like Sorry, go ahead. Isaac, no, sorry. Talking? Yeah, no, I, I just remembered one, one thing I wanted to respond to that. So you said that one of the main advantages of Unranked to GM is its authenticity, because it kind of just definitively proves to people that it is possible. I, I kind of have two counter arguments. The first one is, and this might sound a little brutal, but from my experience, people who cope are going to keep coping. Like I've, I've actually watched um, quite a few of your Unranked, Unranked to GMs. Um, and even then, like people in the comments are like, oh, you know, you know, his, his enemies are just like stupid or he always gets like the good teammates, you know, like, oh, wow, his DPS players actually kill stuff. Mine never do. So I do think that, you know, some people who cope are always going to find a reason, um, to cope, uh, and I forgot the second part. But for yes. that, I say they can <laughs> stay in gold. That's exactly yes, what I agree. They can stay in gold. They can, they they can, stay, they can stay in gold. Yes. What, yes. The content yes. that I'm making are for people that are interested in improving, not people that are coping. For me, it doesn't matter what they don't like. It's, it's, it's just simple. You cope, stay in gold, don't care. Right. You, right. person that is listening, want to improve, listen, implement, improve. Right, right. So, so that's that's the thing. And then also, like, if it's if it's supposed to kind of prove that you can climb out of low elo, um, I feel like at a certain point, you know, there's just enough unranked two GMs out to kind of prove the point. Like, if a friend of mine says he's hard stuck, I'm not going to send him a list of fifty two different unranked two GMs. By the third one, he's he's probably understood what's going on. Um, so that's also, I, I just personally dislike the argument that unranked to GM's main purpose is to, you know, prove to copers that, you know, they are the reason they're hard stuck and like a good player like Awkward can just, you know, climb out of there super easily. Mm-hmm. Well, it depends on who's making him. It's like there are many, there, there are many the teachers, not, not a lot of, not everyone likes this specific type of teacher. He likes that guy. So if people, if I get a lot of positive feedback on one rank to GM, well, I make more because people like the way that I talk about the game, the way that I teach. So they're more inclined to watch the stuff that I do. I mean, that, that's why I agree that not, not a lot of need to exist. And most actually are not even educational. It's some guy just smurfing saying, I killed this boy though. Well, because I'm good. Well, and she sucks. Well, great, but how? Right. And here's the spice. There's a little bit of conflict of interest because especially people that spam them over and over again and are not as good educators as, say, Awkward, you get a lot of views. Well, so. this is a point I was going to bring up, which is Awkward. You, did you want to chime in first? I said that, yes. The, the whole thing of me doing it just to smurf on low ELO players, I could have just done a regular rank to GM and just shit on every lower rank without explaining anything. And I would have even gotten double the views. Nobody cares about educational. People like to see the, you know, the drama, the shitting on lower ELO players. That's what people like to see, right? I made my educational with a purpose. The reason I want to teach players, right? I've always been complaining on my rank letter. I always said, you know, the people here in, low, in high ELO top 500, they're pretty shit at the game, even though they're like objectively good. They're pretty not good. So uh, be the change you want to see in the world. I'd like to teach people, a GM player, to be in a top 500 level that with the level of competency, they'll be happy to have him on my team. Now, these are the players that I make it for, not the people who are like, uh, you know, my team sucks and, 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 you know, you just shit on them because you're GM. Well, no shit that I can shit on them on GM, but how do you think I got to GM, dummy, by implementing what, I, what the advice I give you? 
Yeah, I think I think it's very important. There's a couple of strands that we could still take. It shows you how fascinating the discussion is. The view the, now that the view subject has been broached, I think uh, we, we can go there as well because again, in that philosophical vein, it's that almost it reminds me of the trolley cart of like you know like the, you you have the choice that this trolley cart is going to run over three people. Would you pull the lever and it runs over two people? Where you know I think someone mentioned earlier. Well, okay, some games are being ruined by awkward. Well, but how many more people is he educating with his with his content? Like, so is the does the good of the many outweigh the good of the few? But on top of that, it's the idea that why are if if unranked GMs are so unethical? If if the community so clearly considers them to be unethical, why are they? far and away the most consistent reliable content to make for a country that is that gets views which you might argue the silent vote is of the people who like watching them and there may be the vocal minority who complain a lot that smurfs are ruining my games smurfs are why i'm hard stuck or smurfs are just enjoying ruining my fun even if they don't think it's why they're hard stuck all smurfs are ruining my fun well the silent majority is voting with their clicks and they continue to watch unranked gms over and over and over and as a content creator who is a person who must look after their money and feed themselves, why would you not, if you had the competency and ability to make an unranked GM, make an unranked GM, get hundreds of thousands of views and feed yourself for that month, you know? So uh, I think there's that aspect too as well. I, I'm curious if any of you have any thoughts on that. So you're right. And I, I think that's like a very pragmatic way to look at it. Um, but ultimately, to me, like the main reason why I responded to that is because I think the number one argument that just cannot be denied is that every single game you play in an unranked GM is just a miserable experience for at least the five people on the other team. And more often than not, the four people on your team as well, right? Like just, I mean, maybe they'll enjoy it, maybe they don't. It kind of depends, right? Well, but, you know, at least five people are going to go out of that game just feeling kind of like garbage. And for me personally, I just don't feel good knowing that I've just wasted those, you know, their time. Um, even if one could say, oh, well, they had it coming because they have a garbage mindset. If they just had a good mindset, then they would have appreciated that opportunity. But I don't think that matters because every single person should have the right to say what hurts them and what they dislike, right? And even if their mindset isn't great and it's a little plebby to say, oh, you know, I don't like playing, like, of course, you know, it would be better if they said, oh, great learning opportunity. But aside from the argument that as the skill gap, you know, what what what, what Spilo said earlier with, with the flow state, I know that everyone's eyes just lit up when he said flow state. It's like the, such an amazing buzzword. But, um, it, it, you know, it is just scientifically proven that at a certain skill disparity level, education from an educational perspective just stops being as valuable and i think just unranked to gm from an ethical standpoint destroying other people's game from from an uh educational standpoint because the skill disparity is just so so big i personally feel that while it does bring some positives it's educational like i'm gonna admit it watching watching awkward shit on gold players like that's that's really fun to watch right but there's a lot of stuff that's fun to watch that comes at the expense of, of other people, you know, and it's kind of like saying, oh, well, uh, watching like prank videos on YouTube is fun, you know, but I think they're just, you know, if the other person isn't laughing at the end of the prank, that's kind of the only thing that matters. Mm -hmm. I, have, I have to, I have to say though, that in my, I've been playing this game for six years now, I think. Every time I've done ranked GMs, more or anything like that, all of the negative comments was exclusively from the enemy team. I've never in my life encountered 
a really negative experience. People saying on my team, when they're on my team, and they're saying, oh, you're smurfing, go play at your original rank. They usually either flame me for thinking I'm doing that because like I'm DPSing as Ana, for example, right? Or they'll say something like, oh, bro, you're a god. Thank you for the carry. Never in my life, not a single time, anybody said something negatively about me being the smurf on their team. I mean, they're getting free wins. So I feel like you're kind of, if like, you know, if I throw a banana at a kid, but then I give the guy next to me 500 bucks, he's going to think that banana throw was really lit, you know? So I just, <laughs> of course. It, <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a fair analogy, but the point, I'm, all I'm seeing all of these people in replies, yeah, I'm not having fun when there's a smurf on my team. Never, I've never actually heard someone being vocal about it. If you're having fun, why don't you leave the game when there's a smurf on your team? Why don't you throw on purpose to fuck with the smurf? It never happens when they're, when you get the, you know, the long end of the stick. Well, it always happens when you're the short end of the I think that's a slightly different because uh, yeah, I think that that more speaks to like everyone's or the majority of Overwatch players entitlement to like I I deserve a high rank so like when I win this game also I think it's harder for you to know that your that your smurf is is doing a lot like it's harder to it's better for the easier for the enemy team to know what each player is doing on the enemy team rather than for you to know what how much impact your own teammates are having so I think they feel your presence more your your teammates were like yeah my Ana's carrying because I'm a fucking god on Reinhardt that's why right so like I I think there's that. I would, I want to kind of respond to Iostux's uh, point earlier, which is like, well, you're, you're kind of giving everyone else in the lobby a shit experience, right? You're kind of, they're going to, they're going to come away. I think, again, I'm going to go to my, I think it, you could argue it's a bit of a facetious point or a bit of a uh, arbitrary point, but what's to say that the other person who would have come in for awkward would have made a better experience for them? Like, I think, I think inherently that, that posits that the matchmaking is so good and accurate in Overwatch that like had awkward not been there, that would have been a really great and balanced game. But like, in my mind, it, it's almost to the point now where it's like the variance goes so high in Overwatch. What can you really point the finger at like a, an awkward who's like, I'm on a fresh account and I'm playing to be like, you are the one throwing the, throwing the game out of whack here. When without you, the game would have been perfectly balanced. Whereas, like some again, like I said, some guy decides this game I'm gonna run Reinhardt on Gibraltar because for reasons, and there's no matchmaking to account for it. Right. So uh, th that is actually also a fallacy. So that's a little bit like saying, oh, you know, like my my. Okay, I'm not gonna use that analogy, but uh, let me. It's it's please, kind of like please, saying. Please do the banana again. I just I'm no still no no. I, 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 I no, I'm still trying to like, understand uh, the banana, man. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna. Okay, so it's a little bit like people saying, "Oh, my my aunt got 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 the vaccine, but she died anyway." Anyways, you know, like of course, when when awkward isn't in the game, if we replace awkward with another player, there's no guarantee that the experience is going to be more enjoyable. But what we can say is, if we take a normal lobby and we replace one of the players with awkward, that is definitely going to make the experience worse, right? So I'm not saying that every single game in, in, in comp is like super amazing as long as a smurf isn't in it, right? Not having a smurf doesn't automatically make the game amazing. But I think that what Blizzard is trying to do and what I think, you know, the player base wants is that they can queue for a comp game and know going into it that they have a shot at winning it, you know, as close to a 50% win rate as, as, as possible. And as long as smurfs exist, that is just not a reasonable expectation to have no matter what what blizzard does about the system unless they make it super volatile and awkward just gets gm after like one win you know yeah that's fair awkward i think they're closing in on it i, I don't know i don't a lot of people say yeah you're you're playing in gold all the time 
I think the Blizzard matchmaking is doing a great job. Honestly, after after gold, after the placements, I immediately put in top 500 lobbies. So Max have maybe ruined 10 games, ruined maybe 10 games. And so I, I still don't understand the point. Also, there are throwers in the game. Yeah, maybe there are no Smurfs, but there are still people that are throwing. So it's not really a 50-50 anymore. And well, yes, I think throwers are also really bad for the game. I, I also think Smurfs are really bad for the game. I think people who have, you know, play on the Himalayas with satellite internet and disconnect every five seconds, that's probably also bad for the game, right? Just because something else is bad doesn't make this less bad. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. And I do uh, think it's... Um, a great I, I don't necessarily agree with that because people personally jumping off the map every two seconds, there's nothing to learn from it. Yeah, and that's, and, that's, and, that's, and that's really bad, right? Yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah, I agree. So now... Yeah, what, but I think Smurfing is also bad, you well, know? Yes and no. It depends on what what perspective you're looking at. I don't agree with smurfing. I don't know why people think I am pro smurfing. It actually contradicts my tweet completely because I always say challenge yourself, play against better players. And when you're smurfing, you're really not doing that because you're just playing against low-rated players. So it's just counterproductive to what I say. It's just it's just by logic. for the team. Yeah, but uh, well, I never advise people. People come to me and ask me, should I should I learn this character on this one? Should I play on this one? I say, no, play on your main. Always play against the best players you can play against. Always my best advice. Yes, actually, that, that's something that I don't know. Spidey probably heard this a lot as well. There's so many people I coach who have like three alt accounts and they say, oh, whenever I'm on a lost streak on my main, I just go on my alt account that's like a, a rank lower, you know? And I tell them the same thing. Why? It's such a waste of time. I agree. Well, yeah, the, I think smurfing is a waste of time. Well, I was going to add it because the, the terminology can sometimes get muddled. Obviously, smurfing in its explicit sense means arbitrarily lowering your SR to, to, to you know, force, you force yourself into lobbies you shouldn't be in. Whereas, again, unranked GMs, as long as they're just unranked GMs, are not technically smurfing. You could argue, again, that you're just leveling a fresh account and it's it's on blizzard to find your mmr as they as the placement should of course there will be again the counterpoint will be well at least some games are going to get ruined because they're not going to instantly put you in gm so at least one two three whatever games there are are going to be ruined when they're trying to find your your mmr but i do think what awkward mention is an interesting point to bring up which is the blizzard have done a really good job i think of uh the, there's been a lot of criticism of the MMR-based matchmaking that they've kind of been public about, which is that, you know, we're matching you basically MMR, not the number we show you, which causes its own problems. But one benefit of it is that when you do have a new account, and I saw this because I was I was in Awkward's chat that day when Awkward, the thing you were doing Zen, and I came in and you were like, you know, 10 games in, and you were like, yeah, I'm getting top 500 lobbies, dude. Like, I, I bet, you know, my SR still says like plat or gold, but like everybody in the lobby is top 500. And even I experienced this because I made like a fresh account to play Ramatra when he came out. And I was like, I'm just going to play Ramatra. And within like two placements, I was getting like master GM lobbies. So they have done a good job of, of curbing the this whole Smurf phenomenon, which is that now when you do make a fresh account, it's it quite quickly tries to push you even, even farther than before out of those lobbies that you could be in. So the prevalence of unranked GMs and, and the effect that they would have detrimentally to an average middle ranked player, I think, is significantly curved with with the match the MMR based system. Uh, I'm curious yeah. if this has been your experience as well, awkward. Yeah, I mean, um, it's, it's doing a great job. What can I say? I 10, 10 games in top five hundred. I play against top ten players. Ten games in. I really don't know how they do it. Honestly, just very mind blowing to me. Um, got your IP. <laughs> I, I don't think that that's what it is because because I've done it from 
multiple locations before. I actually don't think it's the IP well, thing. But then they said that it, your individual performance has no bearing on your MMR, but then how can the game recognize if it's a top 500 player pretty, pretty early? So to me, it makes no sense. I, I, they maybe not sharing as much as they would like to. Um, or we would like to. I, sorry, I, I can actually chime chime in there. So, so it's pretty simple, right? So when 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 you have a matchmaking like an MMR based system, right? It looks at the odds of you know, let's say you're in gold, right? And it puts you into a gold match, and then it calculates the odds of a gold player, you know, ultimately winning that match. And then if the odds are stacked against you, and you are, you you end up winning it, you get a really really big MMR boost. So when you go on a Smurf account and you and you start winning a lot, right? Even though it's only ten games. Right, the MMR growth here is 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 compounds upon itself. Right, so you win a game that you shouldn't have won that really boosts your MMR. So your MMR and your displayed skill rating just start to grow even like further and further apart. Right, so by the ninth game, the amount of MMR that you gain with a single win is 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 something that another player would need to win like twenty games in a row for to to even get there. Um, which ultimately, I think, just points to how good MMR system, like they've been around for decades now, you know, back then when people were playing chess. Um, so I do think the system is very effective, but that also raises the point, if a 10-hour unranked to GM stream, you know, after like 10 games, how long How long do, do, do 10 games take? Like, I'd say like you'd be done with those within the three, first three hours, like easily, if you stomp those games probably even sooner. So wouldn't that just mean that like the final seven hours of an unranked to GM stream are basically just the same thing as if you were playing on your main? Mm, you could say, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is where the, like, obscure of the, of obscuring of the rank system is, is yeah, it's, it kind of makes for a very weird experience where you, you're basically, yeah, you're basically playing GM games, going 50-50, slowly climbing, though. But you have, you, you, rather than let's say if you were in Master and you would just win most of those games and get it, you're kind of winning 50-50, having to play a lot more games to then see the rank up, just to, because, just to put you where you already actually are, just to show the symbol of where you actually already are. So it's a little bit odd, and certainly makes for an odd content experience, but... Um... Hello guys, SCB here, just want to quickly interrupt this episode of the Group Up Podcast to say that if you've been enjoying this content, then please do consider supporting me directly via Patreon. It really does help since Patreon only takes about 10% of your money, where YouTube and Twitch take 40 and 50% respectively. So it supports me and allows me to keep making videos no matter how many views they do or don't get. Also, if you are really enjoying this discussion, then why not consider watching some of my other content? First and foremost, my Twitch stream where this podcast is hosted live, and I stream five days a week doing a bunch of other things as well. If you're not much of a Twitch viewer, then you can check out the SVB side channel, where all the best bits from the stream go straight to YouTube in highlight format, including VOD reviews, gameplay, and streamer formats, such as the Fantasy Overwatch or Rank Gauntlet that you may have seen other streamers participate in. And finally, if you're sick of Overwatch, then you could check out my other channel, The Soak, which is where I do movie and TV breakdowns. And I've done videos on things like Avatar The Last Airbender, Pixar's Up, and anime like Haikyuu. So if any of that sounds up your street, then all the links are in the description. But now, back to the discussion. I'm, I'm actually curious, since we broached that subject, been a lot of uh, discussion on the comp system, but uh, certainly Iosex, you seem a fan of the new revamped comp system with with the five placements. And... Oh no, 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 no! I think it, I think it sucks. I think oh, yeah? having to play game after game without seeing any change in rank is is the most demotivating thing ever. What I like is like the math behind it, 
Like, I think it's getting better. It's still not perfect. There's still way too many one-sided games and whatnot. Um, in terms of presentation and, like, the structure of climbing up the tiers, they, I, that sucks so bad. I just hope that they change that. Uh, honestly, I thought the previous system in Overwatch 1 was was fine. Like, I don't know why they needed to change it. Um, I just think that the matchmaking itself, like, how good Blizzard is at detecting you know, players who aren't quite at the rank that they are and then getting them to their proper rank as quickly as possible. I think that has gone strides from where it used to be. Mm -hmm. Spilo, do you have any thoughts on the new system? Um, I mean, I haven't played tons and tons and tons, but I, I agree with Stucks. I think the fact that you don't get reward immediately for knowing where you're at and, and there's even, I've even seen a lot of cases of where, you know, you technically have a positive win percentage and yet you, you either derank or stay exactly the same there's i still feel like there's some gears behind the scenes that we don't fully understand uh one thing i, I wanted to talk about a little bit is with the matchmaking that i, I don't really like is the variance uh, i think ever, i'm not exactly in the minority here uh but you know when i'm a, a platinum or a diamond or a masters player being thrown in top 500 lobbies remember we used to complain about oh we've got the masters player in a top 500 lobby oh no now you're like, oh, we have a Masters player? Great. No diamonds? Awesome. No plats? <laughs> awesome. And we've even seen the screenshots of like these, oh, this guy was gold? This What? And I think the problem with that is technically it's balanced. And maybe I'm getting a little off topic here. So let me, but no, no, actually, I was going to ask about this anyway, so go ahead. Sure. Okay. Technically it's balanced, but I, I, I think one thing that um, is really, really, really important to remember is that when you're playing in a higher-ranked lobby, as a lower ranked player, you get punished for playing, uh, you get punished for doing the right thing. As a, you just didn't have the mechanics for it. Um, whereas a top 500 player playing in a, let's, let's say you get thrown into a diamond lobby, right? You have to play in a way or to a level, you don't even play like you would in top 500 lobby, you have to play totally differently. You're expected to carry, essentially. Whereas in a gold, lobby, gold in a top 500 lobby, you're expected to just survive and feed as little as you possibly can. And that's where, that's where I, I really hate the matchmaking because that's not good competitive integrity where uh, I remember I get these questions all the time with like, oh, do, do players in silver and players in gold and players in plat have to play differently and eat drink? The answer used to be no, never. You never had to play differently. But now the answer is, well, it's not so much as the rank that you're in, so much as the lobby that you're in. Because if I'm a gold on a player and let's say I'm working on my cover usage, but every single time I even walk an inch away from cover, the Widowmaker blows my head off because she's top 500. And I'm trying to look for offensive nade value. So what do I do? I go into my plat lobby next, and now I'm never looking for any offensive nade value. I'm never peeking, never doing damage, never doing anything because I'm getting, I'm scared to get mechanic diff. Well, now I've taken negative feedback on a positive trait, and now I'm translating that into an even worse habit for what should be at my rank. And I think that's what really ticks me off. It's really, really bad competitive integrity. Like if I'm trying to dribble uh, and practicing dribbling and I'm playing versus Michael Jordan, he steals the ball from me every single time. I don't want the ball. Don't give it to me anymore, right? You can't learn like that. And that, that, that really ticks me off. That's a very fair point. I mean, is that something you found in your games awkward? Like uh, the sort of variance of, of the players in the lobby is, 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 is higher than in Overwatch 1 almost? I, I don't play often in high ELO at this point, like in my main account. So I, I don't have enough data for me to just say something. I don't want to say something that I don't know about. So I'd rather it's not common because I don't know. That's very fair. Aristox? Um, no, honestly, I'm just going to echo what, what, what Spilo said. You're so well-spoken. It's disgusting. Mm -hmm. You know? Okay. 
I have it's a lot like of practice he, talking. He sets the bar too high. But no, I, I 100% agree. So I actually, a little self-plug. I recently made a video about this, kind of about the concept of valid environments and ecological validity, where if your practice environment, so if ranked just starts to get too volatile, you know, in one game you're playing against a smurf and then you have a thrower and then this and then that, it makes it very difficult to kind of make small adjustments to your play style and to then see how that affects your gameplay, right? The way that you get better is saying, okay, I feel like I'm not getting enough value out of my nades. You know, maybe I need to be a little bit more greedy with them. But then you go into a game and all of a sudden the entire circumstances have just completely changed. And all of a sudden the play doesn't work or it does work. And you get so many, it's kind of, you know, I call it the red herring effect where you draw false conclusions thinking that you're doing the right thing. And okay, the number one reason why players are hardstruck, from my experience, the number one reason is that they develop a certain play style in lower ranks that only works at those lower ranks. So the classical example here is, is DPS Moira players who just don't heal at all. They just flank and sort of kill the backline. So they're like in bronze. They DPS Moira, they climb to gold. And then because they've won so many games with that play style, that kind of embeds that play style in their heads. And then when they review themselves, when the games all of a sudden aren't working as well, they're not going to question their play style because they've seen results. They, they, they've seen, oh, I've climbed like two tiers being a DPS Moira. Clearly, at least I've understood this part about playing Moira. That's like the number one reason, in my opinion, why people are heartstruck. And I think the ranked system right now makes it too easy for people to go down that rabbit hole. Yeah, that's an interesting point. It actually it vividly reminds me of like the, the video that actually got me into Contracation that I first made was uh, what I learned as a GM in gold, where I specifically, this is when when I was good at the game and I did a soft version of Unranked GM where I just made an alt account to play DPS and I got put in gold. And I remember talking about this exact thing where I was like, you know, Moira is like the perfect trap hero for this where, you know, people go off and they do this and they think that's working. And actually to your to your point uh, that you made earlier about like, you know, well, why don't you organize specific lobbies to 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 test people smurfing or, you know, test like one person uh, in variance. I've actually been doing that for a, a while as well. And the point you made is is very true where what we do is we get players who think they, they deserve it to be a higher rank and we put them in that lobby. So, so I've taken many, many, many times I've taken players who are like gold, who are platinum, and they're like, yeah, I could hack it in the GM lobby. And, you know, nine out of ten times the people lose and they get stomped and, and they kind of realize, oh, damn, that was, yeah, that was a whole nother experience. The times when people win almost always are the times when they just like AFK. And there was a, a very large number of people who won, like disproportionately people won playing Moira or Mercy as as like in the GM lobby and just sitting and like just healing and just surviving. And I think that like, and often you talk to them afterwards, they come away real hyped because it's like fresh out from yeah. the battlefield, right? They're like, oh yeah, I felt so good as to be like, oh man, I popped off and I won super hard. And you know, we, me and the and the rest of the chat, we're watching and we're just like, damn, this guy's just like, he never has Moria juice left. This is guarding angel into Narnia. Like what's going on? Like this is not, this is not good gameplay, but it, it kind of speaks to the point that Spilo made as well. Like there's this negative feedback where actually when you're the weak player in the higher lobby is like the best thing to do is just AFK and, and don't die, which is hard to do on some roles. Like it's hard to do on tank. If you just tank yeah. and you're AFK, well, you're tossing the game for the team. Now you kind of actually need to feed a little bit. And then the reverse is also equally frustrating, which is when, because uh, I have felt in these positions myself is sometimes you get put in the lobby and the matchmaker is like, you should deadlift this game, by the way. Like you, you're expected to like make up for your teammates here. And that's like a really horrifically frustrating experience. Cause then you're like, 
who you're, you're going to be mad, but like, who should you be mad at? Like, cause you're going to be like, man, my teammates are, are feeding their brains out. Like, am I supposed to, what am I supposed to do here? But you can't be mad at them cause they're just doing their thing. They're just playing with the game they play and you're stuck railing the gods of Blizzard to be like, why did you put me in this game and expect me to like deadlift? Like, that's not a fair assumption of a player. Like what? I shouldn't be expected to carry the lobby to, to, to win the game. That seems very harsh. Yeah. So there's, it's, there's definitely, it's, go ahead. It's, it's easy to not be the reason your team lost, it's hard to be the reason your team won. 100%. I want to hear what Awkward has to say, because I think the reason why, one of the reasons why this is so bad is in those percentage of games where you are the lower ranked player, it encourages that passive playstyle, which is, I'm sure Awkward is, preaches over and over and over again, is not what you want to be doing when you're trying to improve, even something like support. You need to be actively limit testing, stress testing, find out when I can be damaging, when I can go on the offensive, when I should be going into defensive. But that's that's the real trick. So, Awkward, have you ever... I'm curious, like, do you run into support players that have that mindset often? Uh, yeah, I run, I run a lot of them. I think you said it really good beforehand. I think uh, you mentioned that you, it doesn't matter what rank you are, your play style doesn't need to be changed. You just need to play... Anna does damage across all ranks. Bronze, GM, like Overwatch League, it doesn't matter. What level, just... What you can get away with, what you can't, is different across the ranks, but it's the same thing. But I, I, do, I do see a lot of um, people who think, oh, you know, they have a widow, they have this, they have this, I can't play this and this. And also, I think that the matchmaker should put you in games where you have to carry, because that's how you learn. You know, sometimes when you ask for strength and God, God gives you adversity, you should take it with open arms. <laughs> <laughs> all right I'll, I'll remember that next time i remember that situation i'm gonna i'm gonna think of my man awkward and i'm gonna be like god giveth and god taketh away man. What can i, say? <laughs> I no, mean but, but it's, it's really true because if if you want to become better why why would you want easy matchmaking where you just have to exist rather than really deadlift the game it it's counterproductive it, it yeah it, it doesn't make sense that's a fair pov i think that's a fair pov um yeah, I mean, and that actually brings up nicely as well another another little awkward tweet before we move on to more broad pastures, which is just one more thing I want to touch on about uh, mentality and ego, because I think this is another relevant point, especially when I ask you guys, since you've dealt with so many different types of players, players of different skill. So I'm just quickly going to read the tweet again, and then again, awkward, if you want to uh, elaborate, feel free. Which is that my ego is why I have been ranked one in the world numerous times. My ego is why I went from gold to top 500 in less than a month when I started. My ego is why I'm competent. I don't want to lose and be average at best. I want to be better for myself. Your ego can be your fuel. So uh, presumably that's a statement you stand by. Of course, I stand by everything that I say. I think <laughs> that the, the best example is the people that are sitting over here. One is a very, very famous coach. One was an Overwatch League coach. And I think both of them were driven by deserving like some sense of self where they deserve to be better. I don't want to be this open division coach. I want to be in Overwatch League. Uh, I don't want to be some guy that nobody knows. I'm going to do some, you know, YouTube videos. I'm going to be, I become, become a famous coach. I'm going to get a lot of clients. You have a famous podcast, right? And you want to be that guy who just, you know, has two viewers on his stream when he walks a podcast. So there's some sense of ego that you want better for yourself. And everything you ask any professional sports player and it doesn't matter, NBA, Soccer, as Americans would like to call it, uh, video games. All the top level, all the elite have a sense of ego. They want it better for themselves and they made it happen. They worked for it and they did it. 
Okay, now that's that's a statement I'm, I'm curious to unpack. I'm going to take it to Spilo because uh, you've dealt with lots of different teams, Spilo, different abilities. Has there been like a consistent theme? And, you you know, that's both in esports and, out, and outside of esports. Is, there, is sure. the ego a theme? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a big thing. I mean, I, I don't think I agree with Awkward. I don't think you're ever going to be great at anything without some form of ego. Um, I think ego is something that gets put in a really bad light. But I think that's always when we see the toxic. Uh, I wouldn't even say an extreme ego, but I'd say a misdirected ego. Uh, my ego has always been even personally, not even talking about the players I've worked with, has been a confidence that when I really apply myself to something, I know I'm not really great at it now. I don't even really care if I'm great at it right now. But I have the confidence that the process, the mentality that I have when it comes to improvement mean that i will be great at it now i'm a great loser because i know you got to lose to win right and i've always been i've tried to like adapt that mindset with my coaching and with even just games or anything else that i sports whatever uh and to me that's where uh i think that's where a productive variation of ego is where it's like i'm not really concerned about i have to defend my own great i'm great i'm great i'm the best i'm the best but i know that i'm just focused on the process and that eventually i will be great um I think a lot of younger players, especially, uh, I think this is a big, big problem, especially in esports, because you have a lot of players that kind of come in and they don't really have a lot of dynamics to their personality or who they are as people. They are just an over great Overwatch player. They don't have a great social life. They don't have a lot of other life skills. They don't have a lot of friends. So if you take their skill or you can test their skills in Overwatch player, there's nothing else there. And so when you look at ego there, I think there's really two ways that you can look at that. Um, one is hey, let's not worry about how good you are right now because that's just distracting yourself, right? Because if, if you think I'm great right now, you're not putting the attention on what you need to do to get even better. And so then if, I, if I'm trying to give you feedback or assist you and like, well, you, I think you should be trying this, then there's a confrontation of, oh, no, 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 I'm already great. I'm already great. There's a wall there, right? And that can prevent you from being an even better player. So the ego is ironic because it makes you worse than you are. And the other way that I would approach that is um, when you have players that have their entire identity tied up into one specific thing, um, then it can be very destructive. So I think one player that I consistently and constantly bring up is Hottie with London this past season, who actually developed himself as a player in-game by developing his identity out of the game. So when things went badly in scrims, or we had a couple of tough losses, or there was a lot of like internal conflict in the team, uh, if he's not playing well, right? It's not the end of the world. It's not, he's able to cope with those uh, negative experiences a lot better because he knows that I'm not just an Overwatch player. I'm also a weightlifter and a friend and, you know, and a mentor to other people. And ironically, that makes him a better player in-game because he's able to cope with those negative experiences so much better than a player who's only an Overwatch player and nothing but an Overwatch player. So to agree with Awkward there, you have to have the ego. You have to think that if I'm not the best now, I will be the best. I trust the process. I really want this. I love this. But it can't be, it has to be productively directed. Otherwise, it will hurt your ego. It will actually prevent you from being what you want to be. Very um, again. Iostux, I feel like you disagreed with this a little bit, at least on Twitter. Um, okay, so so first of all, there's there's two parts to this. Um, <laughs> can we define ego? Because I feel like ego is like a t everyone kind of has a different perspective. So my personal definition of ego is is a different word um, that also comes from psychology called self-efficacy. 
And basically the idea behind self-efficacy, the topic um, really came up when they started to look at, uh, you know, women in the workplace and why a lot of management positions kind of favor men over women. And one thing, you know, not conclusive, but one thing they found is that self-efficacy for some reason uh, was was bigger in men. And the idea behind self-efficacy is that if you have self-efficacy, you believe that if you invest time and effort into an endeavor, that you can better yourself and you can reach your goal. So for example, if I say, hmm, I've never played the guitar before, but if I spend an hour every day for the next year, I'm going to be pretty decent at it, right? That's self-efficacy. Whereas um, the, the opposite would be saying, oh, it doesn't matter how many hours I aim train or practice the guitar or practice drawing, I'm never going to be one of the greats. That's that's a lack of, of self-efficacy. Um, and self-efficacy is 100% crucial. If you don't believe that you can be the best player in the world, you're not going to be the best player in the world. There's so many people who come to me and they say, oh, you know, my biggest issue is confidence. You know, the main reason I want to improve is so that I can be more confident. But that's not really how it works. Like, first, you need confidence in yourself in order to improve, right? You can't just magically get good and then all of a sudden, you know, feel, feel you know, that, that sense of self-efficacy. And to kind of go back to the, the the tweet that Awkward posted. So fundamentally, from a mindset perspective, I do agree because I think that's what you meant by ego, like that, you know, aspiring for greatness, knowing that you can become the best support in the world. You know, that's, kind of, I'm assuming what you, what you meant by ego. And that is 100% super important. The main part that I disliked about that tweet is you mentioned that, or you said, quote, my ego is why I went from gold to top 500 in less than a month when I started. Um, and I kind of tried to look at that from the perspective of, you know, someone who's kind of in a metal rank and they're trying to improve. And, you know, to them, it kind of reads like, oh, you know, all I need to do is, is develop an ego and, you know, then I can get to top 500 in a month. Like he managed to do it in a month. But, you know, ultimately the main reason that you managed to climb that quickly in Overwatch is because you have a very significant amount of FPS experience, you know, before you even played Overwatch, right? And I think ego is important, but I've, I just think that with the way you phrased things, um, it can be misinterpreted and, you know, people might kind of overvalue it, you know, and, and feel bad about their lack of progress. Well, the first thing, everybody can misinterpret everything. Well, it's not my fault. That's the first thing. And the second thing is that, yes, I, because I had a lot of experience, I went from gold top 500, but how did I get to a position where I can be very, very, very good player? Since day one, I believed in myself. I had ego. I got smoke every first day, first, first day, uh, day that I logged into Overwatch. I get smoke. I'm in gold. I don't remember. I, I'm in gold. I play against Diamond, play, I get smoked. I'm like, fuck, you know what? Who is this guy? How is he beating me? Okay, let's, uh, you know, let's, let's, let's get to work. Let's be better. They get to Diamond. Getting smoked by Masters. All right, let's see. Let's see how it is. Getting smoked again. My got my ass whoop. And I said, I deserve better. I have to be better than this guy. And eventually, it just goes on and on, right? And I was always happy. By the way, this again cycles back to the Smurf thing. I was always happy to play against players that are better than me because I was like, okay, let's see what this guy does that I don't. I am gonna get smoked by him. But one day, one day, I know I'm going to be better. Why? Because I I trust myself to learn. And I do everything I care, I can, and I'm a hard worker, et cetera, et cetera. So yes, you're not going to get there in a month, but if you truly don't believe that you can get better, you're never going to get better. It's not about a month, a year. It doesn't matter. You'll never get there. 
Yes, mm-hmm. that's exactly that's what I what I agree with. Right, the idea of self-efficacy. If you don't believe that you have what it takes, or that for some reason you're just not born with the right genes to be top five hundred or something, then yes, you're you're not going to to reach that. And I think that's that's very interesting because <laughs> it's 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 really funny. When I was kind of mad at Overwatch One, um, my my friends uh, kind of gaslit me into playing League of Legends with them, and you know it was a very interesting experience because I'm I'm really really bad at that game um and even though i got absolutely dunked on in every single game like it didn't really matter to me because i always knew that the other person is like better than me but if i had invested the same amount of time that they have i would just absolutely stomp them right so it's kind of being better at improving even if the current skill level isn't quite there so basically what i'm saying is that i i agree with you Mm-hmm. At this point, Touch I must bus. point out. Go ahead. Go sorry, ahead. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was say, at this point, we must point out that we have four people born in four different countries, potentially speaking multiple languages here in this call. So if there's ambiguity yes. of the definition of, of a word that particularly is loaded even amongst native English speakers, uh, then I think that can be forgiven that uh, people interpret it slightly differently. But go ahead, Spilo. I have a question for Awkward or Iostex here. So I think the definition of self-efficacy by having the confidence that you will be able to develop a skill if you put the time into it is obviously crucial, right? Uh, and and then having that prior to picking up a skill is what oftentimes allows you to develop the skill faster at a better rate than anybody else, right? I think everybody in this call could probably, if you get to GM with one game, you're gonna get to G, you're gonna be able to get to a higher rank with another game, like almost guaranteed if you put the t- hours in. My problem here is this, is what, how do you say, because we're all coaches to some degree, even SVP, you, you've got a big a lot of experience as a coach as well. So how do you improve somebody who doesn't have that self-efficacy? Now, obviously, I'm, I'm dipping into like psychology couch level here because that might be a big lifelong problem and it usually is, right? But in my experience, what I've tried to do with people like that is I've tried to, okay, you don't have self-efficacy, you don't have a lot of confidence right now. Let's try and get you started on accomplishing small things one step at a time and then build confidence through accomplishing things. Um, even when I was back working with, with kids, a lot of kids that weren't very confident, once they reached a certain belt or learned a couple of strikes or learned a, a grappling move or a wrestling move, that would slowly build confidence. So is that the only way or is there some sort of like psychological motivation? Is it just saying, hey, you're going to be you're going to be trash until you actually fake it till you make it with the confidence? I mean, I, I mean, I know that worked for me in high school. I had to fake it till you make it at mentality when it came to my personality for, for a little while and eventually developed real confidence. But how do you do that? I guess I'm curious to see what you, what, what you two think. Oh, well, I, I can I can speak for uh, for people that I coach. I agree that. Your confidence comes through your experience. You cannot be a confident person if you hasn't succeeded through adversity. So the way that I personally approach this is that you have to pra- you have to practice. You have to work through. So let's say you want to work on Anna and you're not confident that you hit your shots, right? I'm not. A lot of people say that. I I can DPS like you because my aim sucks. I can can improve. No confidence. So what I tell them, well, how's the only way to improve? How is the only way? For you to become confident talking to girls it's pretty simple you go talk to a lot of girls same thing with aim same thing with overwatch how do you become better dps and more confident well start shooting you'll miss a bunch of times that eventually it will be better and better and, that, and then when you will see with your own two eyes that it becomes better you will be more confident it's like oh hey i killed this guy let's try again let's try again and slowly and gradually builds up i can't i don't know what the psychological thing behind it because well i'm not a psychologist but this 
just from my experience. Aztecs? Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree with that. So my personal definition of confidence is that ultimately what confidence is, is, is just a lack of fear of failure, right? So if I'm at a bar and a friend of mine, you know, he just randomly walks up to a girl and he just, you know, he gets rejected or something, right? You would say that was a really confident move, right? But what made that move confident isn't that he thinks that he's hot shit and every single girl is going to love him and he's so amazing. What makes him confident is that he could walk there and he knew that even the most negative outcome here, you know, she could just spill her drink over me. Like even the most negative outcome, I'm fine with that. And I think that's confidence. And it's, it's the same when you want to improve at Overwatch. So many people, they are so focused on winning that they just stop limit testing and they stop you know trying stuff out sometimes you do have to go on a weird flank as kiriko and try to 1v1 their widow you know because i mean sure maybe that's not the best thing to do but how are you going to figure that out if you don't try and that's kind of a big you know internal conflict that people have because on one hand they want to go into their ranked games and they want to try hard and they don't want to feed and they want to play safe and consistent but then on the other hand, they have to like do things that they haven't done before. They have to maybe pick up a new character or try out a new play style or just do something that they haven't done before in order to learn from it. But obviously that's going to have a negative effect on their, on, on, on their skill, right? And ultimately the way that confidence really helps people climb is saying, you know, it's okay for me to, to try these things out and maybe I'm going to get flamed by my team and I'm going to embarrass myself and maybe I'm going to drop down a rank or so. But I don't care about that. I don't care about those failures. I'm okay with that. I'm okay if my teammates just flame me because I know that I'm going to learn something from that. And I know that in the long run, when we start to look at, at, at multiple months, I'm going to be higher than where, where I am right now, right? Like the stock market, it goes up, it goes down, it goes up, it goes down. But if you look back 30 years, you know, it goes up more than it goes down. And it's kind of the same thing with skill levels. Sometimes you're on a loss streak, sometimes you're on a win streak. But as long as you focus on improvement, you'll end up higher than where you were at the at the start. No, I, I, th I think those are all very well said points from all you guys, and I, I pretty much agree with them. I think it's that the idea of dissonance that is usually where pain comes from. It's usually like your rea when your reality conflicts with what something is reflecting back to you, that's usually when people feel pain, right? So people, when, you know, a question I get a lot is, how do I get over comp anxiety? And that's like, the I think the first thing I always say is like, well, why do you care if you lose? Because it's like, it, it, I think people have that like dissonance of like, if I lose, it must be comp telling me that I'm bad. And it's like, you're, you're letting that kind of, it's like that external versus internal mindset, like letting your se sense of self be defined by external factors versus internal factors. So letting the comp system tell you whether you're a worthwhile human or not is, is generally a bad idea. I think it's, it's interesting because you guys have coached probably one person for longer than, than I have. Like I've, I, my, I've only f a few times coached like one individual for a lengthy period of time. Most of the time it's like a one and done. And I always try to like. So my approach is a little bit different and I, I haven't really dedicated myself to coaching for quite a while. So you guys definitely the experts on this, but I try to take a more wide and holistic approach of like, understand, like I, I always say, I can't tell you how, how you know yourself best. Like I can't tell you, you, like you have to understand for yourself. And I, I, I truly do believe that like understanding yourself is the most rewarding thing that any human being can do is like understanding what makes them tick and what makes them sad and what makes them happy. And that's what I always try to encourage people to do. So if I had someone who was like lacking confidence, I would just kind of like try and try and really unpack where that lack of confidence comes from. Like why, like, firstly, what do you care about? What are your priorities? So do you really want to be good at Overwatch? Cause like not everyone has to be good at everything. People sometimes come and they're like, I really want to be good at Overwatch. 
but I don't want to spend more than like two hours doing it like per week. Like that's, that's, that's me. And I'm like, well, your desires conflict with like your, what you're actually willing to put in and like what your mentality and your approach is, right? Like you're, you want to be good at watch, but not enough, not bad enough, right? You, you don't want to actually be good. Like you don't want to be good, bad enough. So that's a weird sentence to say, but hopefully it makes sense. Uh-huh. And I think that's something that can be helpful to, to make people understand is like, you may want to, you may really think you want this, but you don't in the classic blizzard fashion. Like you don't actually, your priorities are elsewhere and that's fine. It's fine to have other priorities. It's fine to say, actually my like social life is more important to me. And I, I wouldn't want to give it up for an extra hundred SR in Overwatch. And that's okay. To, to, that's okay to believe, I think. So I think you really have to assess like, is this, cause you can't be the amazing at everything. And as much as we, I agree as well with your initial point, Spilo about, I do think people who tend to get good at one game can often transfer that. That's usually, I think, because of like the ability to understand patterns, I think is like a very important, I, I, I've been, I've been wanting for the longest time to write a book about this actually, about like how to, how to spot patterns in like different video games so that you can kind of almost, you know, skip a lot of the learning curve. But again, that's not a skill set everyone values or has. So you gotta, you gotta figure out what is my skill set? What, what is the area that I'm good at? And it's okay to not be what you think you want to be good at, which is Overwatch. So hopefully that answers your questions, Philo. I think there's a little bit of ego involved in there too, even with your example, when it comes to like the two hours, when people come in there and like, oh, I want to be good at Overwatch, but I'm only willing to give it two hours. To me, that comes almost, sometimes I, I get those, those those sessions as well. And it's I usually there's a little bit of ego involved where I can't handle being bad at a game, but I'm only willing to put in two hours. And I'm like, well you have some issues we need to sort out because if you're only putting two hours in something, you're not going to be good at that and you just need to live with that. It just needs to be a casual thing for you and that's totally fine, but some people don't handle that super well. Um, I want to add as well, when it comes to the pattern thing, I also think learning how to learn something is really helpful as well. Yes, like yes. learning just how to master something. That That is you, you, ubiquitous, universal, whatever term you want to use, I think. 100%. Yeah, um, to, to kind of add to that, so very, very interesting. That's something that I actually experience very often. Sometimes I get people and um, whenever they book uh, an appointment with me, they need to fill out a form with some baseline information. And I always ask them, how many hours a week can you put in? And, you know, I, I, sometimes I have appointments for the day and I open up that form to kind of prepare for them. And then it just says like four hours a week. You know, and then they also need to answer, what is your goal? And they write like GM or top 500. And the first thing that I tell them in, in, in the session is you don't want to do this because with every single session you will have, your, your knowledge is going to increase, 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 increase. You're going to learn more about the game, more about macro concepts, more about interactions. You're going to learn a lot. I can promise you that you're going to learn a lot, but your skill is going to, going to be down here because you just don't have enough time to practice it, right? So the more knowledgeable you get, the more I coach you, the more frustrated you'll be at like how bad you actually are at the game, right? So, you know, after like three or four sessions of that, like skill-wise in game, they're the exact same, except now they're no longer oblivious to how bad they are. And that is just so depressing. That's the coach curse. That's why I hate playing ranked. I'm like, what am I doing? What am I doing? I'm so bad at this game. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have so many out-of-body moments for that where I literally, like, because I I try to talk about my, like, thought process a lot on stream. So sometimes I'm literally, like, I will do something and, like, literally a second later, I'm like, man, why did I just do that? Like, that was the dumbest thing I've ever done. I was completely fed my brains out. Like, what's going on? Yeah, I, I think that's why a lot of coaches honestly don't play the game because it's just so frustrating. You know you're washed up. Like, you can look at your gameplay and you can just 
absolutely tear it apart and you know there's nothing you can do about it unless you're going to just spend fucking 30 hours a week on the game again. Yeah, I mean, Awkward is sitting there smiling because he's been able to juggle both. He's a great coach and a great player. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't have that problem, you know, but I do. it do happen that I make a very dumb mistake yeah. and I'm like, I can immediately recognize that, yeah. But yeah. I, I do pretty well for myself in rank ladder. I usually, <laughs> I usually yeah, don't lose. I usually don't lose. It's true. Yeah. That, that brings me to an interesting point. Like, you know, it's been a very fascinating discussion on like sort of mentality and stuff, but uh, kind of bringing it back to Overwatch. I was curious as well, just to see how you guys have felt the shift to just everything about Overwatch 2, not just 5v5, but a lot of the changes that have come through, like CC has been tuned down and shields and tanks are kind of being looked at a lot and all these concepts. I mean, actually, let me just get your general feelings. If you could summarize for me, like in a couple sentences, how you, like how you view Overwatch 2 as having shifted and what your opinion on that shift is like is it good for the game bad for the game um and like yeah just kind of broader concepts then we'll kind of dive deeper into it so let's start with spilo spilo like how have you viewed the shift overwatch 2 in general good i think 5v5 is a lot more space to pay attention it's easier to track what's going on there's more i guess i hate using this word but there's more carry potential with each player in the team uh playing one dimensionally there's it is harder you have to play more dynamically uh, even the hero design, I think, mirrors that. There's, there's people are moving. We're moving away from archetypes when it comes to hero design, for better or worse. So I, I think, for the most part, I think it's, it's a good game. Nice, uh, awkward. I would agree, it's a better game. I don't particularly think it's a good game. I think it's better. Five on five is something that I've been an advocate for even yeah. years, years before it, it came out. I always suggested that. Yeah, funny story, um, actually, just to quickly interject, me and Awkward, I remember vividly, we spoke about 5v5, like, you know, a, a long good time before it was ever announced. We were both like, I think this is, ah. I think this would be better. I think this would be better. So, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I think that there's a fundamental misunderstanding from the Blizzard team. I really don't know what's happening behind the scenes, but there is, the balance patches are not great. I think that the, the philosophy is not the best. I think they're a little bit out of touch with the... Not only the player base, but how what makes a game fun to play. For me, half like the, the the recent balance match. Let's talk about it for a second. Is that I just don't. I, it seems out of touch. It seems no. There's it, well, no reason for for it. You know, some of the some of the changes. Um, but yeah, it is way better than Overwatch One, but it still mm -hmm. has room for improvement. We'll definitely get into that. But first, Iostux. Yeah. No, I agree. Um... 5v5 is, 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 is brilliant. I know that it was a little bit controversial at, at first, um, especially, you know, the impact that it had on the esports scene because it sure shook things up a little um, from a roster perspective. But 5v5 is, is brilliant. Honestly, the main thing that I really like about Overwatch 2 is that we, like, have things to look forward to again. Like, in Overwatch 1, at the end, it was just so hard to get friends, like, back into the game because they're like, oh, what's changed? And I'm like... Well, you know, you remember, you remember Echo, you know, she released like two years ago, you can play her again. Um, but now there's like actual, you know, whenever there's a new season, like there's something to kind of look forward to and there's a new map and there's a new, new character. Um, I think the biggest issue that I have with the game right now is that because Overwatch has been out for so long, it's kind of reached a point now where newer characters in terms of like kit and complexity and design are just at a very very different level than characters that were released initially so i think the best example of this in my opinion is uh, cassidy's ultimate 
I genuinely have no idea what that ability even, like why that is is still in the game, you know? And I think it's good that, you know, for example, Bastion got reworked. I think since his, his rework, he's, he's much better. But I, I personally hope that Blizzard is not just looking at adding new characters. I think that a lot of the old characters you know, at least certain parts of their kit in are a little bit outdated and just don't fit, you know, 5v5 and, and kind of the the new characters and kind of the new environment they're in as well as, as they used to. I think it's a really I mean, it's the dynamics. Go ahead. It's the dynamics. Like, I think you look at, like, a hero like, or, like Arisa, you look at a hero like Kiriko, uh, Sojourn, everything has a little bit of mobility, uh, everything has a little bit of range, has some cooldowns to juggle. There's a lot of, there's not a spam hero, brawl hero, speed hero, Junkrat, even, like, even, like, the original Reinhardt design, like, how do you balance Junkrat, you know? How do you, the hero design is almost flawed inherently. How do you balance uh, like we said, they're still trying with Bastion, but ultimately, even where he is now, I still it still doesn't feel good losing to a Bastion. I feel like he's putting in infinitely lower value. Um, and then you look at heroes like Reinhardt, who I think have had largely successful reworks. Well, what they've done, I feel, is they've added dynamics. They've given him two fire strikes. There's more range. They've reduced the charge cooldown. They've allowed you to cancel charge. So you can actually use it for mobility now, right? It's not just an I'm dead button. Um, but obviously, there's some characters that still have not aged so well and, and need a lot of work. I think Mercy's one of them as well, whose initial design feels like it was more of a flying heel bot. And obviously people don't like that anymore. It's not a big surprise, but we still don't know what we want to do with it. Uh, and then even coming from the newer character side of things, they do tend to be a little bit overtuned because dynamics is great. I, I personally enjoyed the more dynamic approach, but they do have a tendency to be overtuned. Like Sojourn was high damage in close range, the best sniper in the game, one of the best mobility cooldowns in the game, one of the best AoE abilities in the game. Kiriko is the best TP, best defensive cooldown, best ultimate, uh, immortality, uh, 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 the high, highest healing per second, I believe, output for a long period of time as well. And so obviously, when we introduce characters with a lot of these dynamics, I think we need to also keep in mind that the dynamics in of itself is a huge strength, and you need to balance accordingly. And I don't think the Overwatch dev team, I know inevitably it's going to come up. Every one of SVB's discussions, we're going to, we, we're great. We, it was inevitable. Um, but uh, I do think that that's something that's not recognized fast enough. And that leads to uh, situations where we have people that are just like, oh, gee, this hero is continually strong, continually strong, continually strong. And I, I had a discussion last week with Boger, uh, and he was saying another problem with the dynamics is that a lot of the times the simply existing with some of the newer uh, hero designs um, provides too much value. So the Kiriko doesn't need to utilize a lot of her dynamic and utility to get value and do more than an Ana, at least in the past, right? Uh, same thing with Orisa, right? It is infinitely harder to play Winston into Orisa and vice versa, or Orisa into Reinhardt than vice versa. And I think that's kind of where like there is a lot of dynamic and skill ceiling to an Orisa, but you don't need to do that to be good at the hero to get value out of the hero and i think that's where um we have flaws in the old design but even the new design while they're fun to play they don't there's we, we got this going on a lot it doesn't work out super well yeah i think it's a very very good point i think both of you kind of made me think of something actually which is that you know recently apex legends had a had a big overhaul they almost had like an overwatch 2 kind of moment i don't know if all of you have been keeping up but they basically 
have had to have like a bit of a reckoning because over over i think this is the nature of a multiplayer live service game over time people get bored they get angry and their frustrations pile up and things that are frustrating like things that are like fresh at the start of the game's release suddenly start to become frustrating slowly 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 oh you know this character is busted you never address this character you never address this problem like these this weapon is a problem that is it and these things slowly build and then eventually you get to like dead game dead game devs don't care devs are clueless and actually what apex legends have decided to do is like actually take almost like a year to rethink everything uh, and they've said we're not going to release any more new heroes for like a whole year basically instead we're going to rework our old heroes and like really look at like holistic changes to like how the game feels and plays and they're going to change rank and they're going to change like going to add like a weapon that they haven't done for a long time and like i guess in a way if someone will say well isn't that what our stew is supposed to be well yes but mostly in the pve side like mostly it was like we're adding a pve we did shift to 5v5 in Overwatch 2, and, and largely, I, I still am amazed at how largely successful it was that they just kind of removed a, a hero and didn't do too many other changes, like, big picture, and it's still kind of like, yeah, it actually works, what the hell, it actually plays really well. But I wonder if at some point they will need to do a similar thing of just, actually, we need to pause hero releases for a bit and actually just go back and make sure every previous hero re like realigns themselves with the new philosophies we've shifted. Because otherwise what ends up happening is like, this is something I spoke about on the podcast a few times. There's like a lot of forgotten heroes. Like Sombra, I think, is another one that stands out. It's like, they were like, that was one of the two things alongside Bastion. They were like, we're going to, look, we did a Sombra and a Bastion rework. Aren't they great now? And then one season into the game, everyone's like, that's dog. We hate it. Change that. And now they've had to like basically nerf her to the point where no one ever played her. And now they're like, we're going to rework, you know, we're going to do something to her again. Brig is another example. Since release, no one's ever been happy. At no point have people been like, yeah, okay, that she's good now. And we've been talking about this rally rework for what feels like, you know, a year. That, oh, there's a new rally coming. There's a new rally coming. So I wonder if, like, at some point they'll have to actually stop and, and, and address, like, these, this sort of backfill of heroes that have coasted along without actually being adapted to an Overwatch 2 playstyle, I wonder. I'm curious to you guys' thoughts on, like, any of that, otherwise, we're also, I'm also curious to talk about, like, some of these balance changes that Awkward was alluding to. So any, any thoughts on any of what we've been mentioning so far? I think that a lot of things fundamentally need to be changed. I think maps need to be changed fundamentally. Like, the new maps that they put, they just put an extra box here and there, like some rock. It's not what it's needed. There, so let's talk about 2CP for a second. I'll quickly drift to yeah, it. Yeah, go for it, go back. for it. The reason why 2CP was very, very hard is because everyone had to push, push through one choke to, in, in the game. Just one choke. You had one big door, one big gate. Everybody had to push through as a team. And all the team efforts went to pushing through the choke. And it became almost impossible for the attacker side to push through. That's why a lot of the maps have multiple openings. You know, you can go from the left side, you can go from the right side, but usually there's one main choke. 2CP, exclusively one choke. That's why it was so hard. That's why everybody picked Symmetra, just TP on point. So now, what the problem is, is that a defender side is way, way too strong compared to the attacker side in most of the maps because you, the defender side has the advantage of having controlling a big portion of the map while the rest are stuck in a small box. So adding a small a box or a rock here and there doesn't really change it. Now, another thing that I'd like to drift back is the heroes. I think some heroes, as you guys said, and I completely agree, need to be either reworked or get, or get kicked to the PvE section. Moira, Brig, all of this stuff, PV. No, they don't, they're not necessarily for <laughs> PV. Simply because the value they provide don't require a lot of skill. And it seems to be, it seems very frustrating for people who would like to be rewarded for their play, to be, for, for a good play, it's hard to be rewarded when there's a hero that counters you 
with significantly less skill required. Um, so maps, heroes, changes, like balance changes, but we'll talk about it a little bit later. No, I, I like those points. And I, I also applaud your uh, ability to just shrug off the, the inevitable hatred that you know that comment would, would bring ah. and just be like, fuck it, throw that out in the ether, let's go. Ah. Uh, Tux, what do you think about any of this? Um, so obviously a bit of a hot take from, from Awkward to remove those characters. But I, I think you raise a very good point. Um, and that is, that is skill expression. So in my opinion, there are certain characters in the game that just make it very, very difficult for players to like really, you know, stick their teeth into them because they're just not, you know, like their depth is a little bit more like ephemeral, I guess. Um, and, and Brigitte and Moira definitely kind of fall into that in, into that category where there's obviously a very big difference between an amazing Moira player and a really bad Moira player. But the question is, you know, how fun is is that to watch? How fun is it that to play? How fun is that to play against? Um, and, and I think that, you know, some characters, they just don't quite have that depth. Like, for example, I personally, I think Junker Queen, like out of the new characters we've we've had in the game so far, um, just from a raw design perspective, is the best Overwatch 2 character that they've made so far because the depth of just stacking multiple dots and now the cooldown reset on her axe and 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 everything and 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 the knife is just super difficult to hit. Um, I think she just offers so much, you know. Where if you look at a really really good Junker Queen player, you can really just get like hyped up and like oh I want to do that too but then you have characters you know with 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 mercy for example where you know they're kind of unsure what they want to do because I think certain characters like mercy or moira their identity is to be simple and I just don't know in the long run how compatible that is going to be when new characters presumably are only going to get more flashy and and more complex you know um does a character like mercy even fit into the game still still then or do they need to kind of kind of change things one thing that league of legends for example does is um or that's kind of a meme. A lot of characters back then uh, had like point and click abilities, you know, like Tarek's old old stun. Um, and you know, whenever they would rework a character, they would just take those point and click abilities and they would turn them into skill shots that that need to be aimed, you know. And maybe Blizzard is going to do something similar, you know. Maybe Mercy's beam is going to turn into like a Symmetra beam that heals people, you know, so that Mercy players need to aim. I don't know, but you know, that's kind of my main concern that I have, you know, with the game that. You know, I think some characters can afford to be more interesting than they are right now. That's okay, thoughts I, 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 love, I love that one sec. I, I want to just preface that uh, yeah. we started that discussion by Iostuck saying, you know, I, I applaud Awkward for uh, for just throwing out there that maybe Brig and Moira should go. And then he finishes his sentence like, maybe Mercy <laughs> needs to go. I don't know, dog. Like, what's up? <laughs> just straight up in there. Man, Awkward is just saying what we're thinking. You yeah, know, I'm just no, trying I, to get it out there without getting as much hate. I appreciate, but, I appreciate yeah. it. No, no, I think it's, I think it's a fair <laughs> point. But yes, Spyla, go ahead. All right, so I'll throw I'll throw my name on the the, the hate mail, you know, thank you bomb list as well. <laughs> I think I do think I've talked about there needs to be I think uh, for lack of a better term a no list. Either these are heroes that need reworks, or these are heroes that we are open and honest with. Moira is just not a top 500 hero. She's a hero that can you can get started in the game, but there's a limited ceiling with how good she's going to get. And if we're honest with that, then we don't have to have any complaints from the GM top 500 Moira community that this hero isn't viable in high ranks. Well, sorry, that's what the hero is limited. That's what the hero ceiling is. Or I'm also totally fine if we were to make adjustments to the hero to make it more interesting. Again, not even mechanically, right? It doesn't look at a hero like Winston, right? Obviously, there are absolute mechanics with Winston, but 
outside of primal and a little bit of the right click now a lot of most of the winsome play is not mechanics it's decision making and positioning and things like that well moira doesn't have that right moira uh, there's a lot of complexity to the hero but proportionately no no and i think we either need to shift heroes into okay this these are basic heroes or we need to rework those heroes to make them more interesting and the problem is is blizzard doesn't seem to have the guts to do that to decide that we look at something like the mercy changes that seems like they're really trying to make the hero difficult and nuanced and interesting and i applaud that good for them but then moira gets what do they get an ult buff charge but it's still moira and people are like well moira's still trash here well good she should she or she should remain trashed here roadhog should remain trashed here he doesn't belong in the game roadhog should never be meta in grandmaster never not once and that's a hero who's very mechanically difficult why because there's no there's almost no nuance to his hero same thing goes with more and i think like there needs to be some honesty here like guys we don't have the resources to rework every single hero right now so we're just going to leave that hero to be in a not great state you know kind of like what they did with roadhog and then we'll get back to it later but we, we we don't have that communication we don't have that clarity consistently enough and i think that leads to frustration from both the community playing up against moira roadhog whatever players and the moira roadhog community themselves because they don't know what to expect am I, am I supposed to be a competitive class or am i not supposed to be a competitive class nobody knows right it's a very very good point just just a question to you um would would you agree or like what is your perspective on the fact that certain characters can only really kind of show their depth in a more coordinated environment so for example with the with the roadhog changes what i what i think blizzard is doing i have no idea what they're doing but what i think they're doing is they want to kind of turn him like his hook less into a solo flank one-shot people ability and the idea to be more like i'm going to hook someone into my team and then my team is going to mess them up but that's something that you're not really going to get in rank that's something that the majority of the player base is not really going to experience um or if you look at symmetra's tp or may wall may in scrims is a, like a different character they, they might as well just rename her you know compared to what what you would do to her in in, in solo queue um so i I'm, I'm kind of interested to hear just not just from you but kind of from the group um you know should characters have kits that you know can't really be fully expressed outside of a very coordinated environment i think i think there's definitely abilities i think teleport is a big one where you know it, it there have been situations or even been metas what was at the end of season two where we had the symmetra bastion meta anti-goats briefly uh and, and obviously these big tp strats on 2cp like awkward was saying it required coordination to do that um but i don't think that even heroes like for example you could make a very good argument that oh winston is gets a lot lower value in, low, in lower ranks because there's not as much coordination but a good winston's still going to climb a good Winston can turn around, hey, my teammates are there. If I jump in, they're probably going to shoot the enemies in some way, shape, or form, so there'll probably be some form of follow-up. So I don't think we have too often too many abilities or too many heroes that demand team follow-up as opposed to increase the odds. Like there's, like, there's a decent chance if I'm Roadhog right now and I hook somebody that there will be some form of follow-up or some form of enemy response that allows my team to win the fight. So I agree with you. There's definitely like abilities and heroes that benefit more from coordination, but I even like a Sombra, for example. But the number one problem, as, as you and I both know, when we coach a Sombra player, oh, my team never follows up. Coach the Sombra player, turns out they're hacking the enemy while the team's in spawn. Or they're hacking the enemy when they're on the high ground and they, their teammates can't follow up. And it's usually a problem with the player itself with a lack of follow-up, not with the hero, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. 
uh, my perspective would probably be that there can be abilities like that that are like this is pretty much only valuable in in coordinated play but then there has to be an honest conversation about it and i don't think we'll ever get that because it, it, it's at odds with the fantasy of what overwatch the experience of playing overwatch solo queue is which is the number one consumption of the game the num- like the the target audience is someone solo queuing overwatch or playing with a couple friends for fun and that is at odds with having an ability that like like teleporter which requires inherent coordination and also saying anyone can play whatever they want to you want a main symmetra go main symmetra like have fun play as much as you want climb as much as you want that is overwatch play your hero but then that's at odds with like a hero that I think this is where like whenever I see heroes like this when when people are frustrated, it's usually this and tanks have this a lot because people play like Reinhardt and they'll be like, well I do all this space making for my team and then they never follow up like what what is the point man, and of course like the answer is well actually you should just YOLO like you should just forget about your team go straight into the backline and go YOLO with the Reinhardt like that is the way, but then they're also not wrong to say well that's not that's kind of dishonest isn't it is that not what the, that's not what the hero is supposed to be. You you advertise this as a big shield protector man, and you're telling me to just like YOLO throw my hammer like I'm fucking Thor in the back line, like what's going on? So it's difficult. I think Overwatch has a lot to balance. It always does, like not not literally balance, like a lot to juggle. And and the audience expectations of like your average person tuning in for the weekend versus an esport is always gonna cause these like problems to crop up, like these odd scenarios to crop up where these heroes are left in the dust because how do you make May both viable for Joe Blogs and for Overwatch League? Or not even viable, but like that, that part of her kit to be applicable almost in the same way. I'm curious, Awkward, if you have any, any thoughts on this. I personally think that Blizzard is, uh, Overwatch as a whole is a false advertisement. They advertise it five on five team game. The first thing you, when, you, when you queue up to a game, the last thing you have to think about is your team, what they're picking, what they're playing, who is this guy, who is that guy, you shouldn't care, you play on your own. So in that sense, it's really false advertisement. Another point that I'd like to make about characters like Moira is that the problem with characters like Moira is because it doesn't teach you anything fundamental about the game. It doesn't teach you any positioning. It doesn't teach you any ability to play make. So people get stuck in a trap because ah, I keep dying on Ana, so I'll swap to Moira. I'll have a get out of jail free card. And then they learn nothing about the game and then they get stuck and then they feel frustrated. So the character inherently is trapping people in a very low rank. And even if you do good, and then you swap, you're still gonna suck at the other characters. A good a good Ana player will be a good Moira player. A good Moira player will be a very bad Ana player. So I, I think in that sense, that's why the character design is really, really poor. Um and yeah, that that's my point. I'm gonna get so many bombs from Moira players in the uh, comment section. I promise. There's so many Moira players gonna be upset. But I think it's an interesting point. I, I kind of want to let any of you guys vibe off that. But before we kind of move on to actually discussions of some of the recent changes they made, actually specifically, uh, any, reviving or reaction to recent changes. Any any Which inter- one? Okay. Any, well, I'm I, saying if you wanna if you wanna vibe now, go sure. ahead and then we'll sure we'll, sure we'll, sure. Okay. So I, yeah, I think you made an interesting point, and you're the guy to talk to about it because you've talked about the rock paper scissors tank matchup, the ultimate swaps, and things like that. Going back to what Akra was saying with the team game environment, it's a game that says, "Oh, it's about swapping," and then, but isn't. And then even if it is, do we really like that? You know, do we really enjoy? Again, I had a conversation I had last week with Boger, and it's like, there's nothing worse than going, "Oh, I play Winston. Oh, they go Reaper, Diva, Tura." Okay, you know, we're going to go those heroes. All right, they're putting in, you know, half the effort that I'm, that I'm going to inevitably end up on Arista or whatever else. And, and I think that's where it's like, 
I guess it's, I don't know the answer. Do we really like the rock, paper, scissors of tank swapping and DPS swapping? Um, I think definitely the importance of swapping is a little bit overblown. I think you just need to get good at the hero that you're playing. However, advertising that as an aspect of the game and then also realizing that that's actually not that much fun. You know, I don't, I don't like being bullied off of Winston when he's a very high skill hero, you know, or I don't like picking Zenyatta. Oh, now they go Sombra. Now they're spawn camping me and I'm in plat. I don't know what to do. Like that, that's not, you know, that's not exactly fun. So it's, it's hard, it's hard to know. And even like you were saying the Reinhardt example, like how do you play Reinhardt? Well, there's this idea that you protect your team. And to be honest, that's not necessarily the bronze or silver's player's fault. That's a lot of how the hero is described or even demonstrated in, in the shorts and how even back in Overwatch 1, there were a lot of, but that's, that's, that's even, I would even argue back in Overwatch 1, that's not how you was ever played. You, you took space. You took, your shield was for you, not for your team. So, but, the, so, but, but then how, who's going to tell them that? You know, obviously that's, that's why I, I, that's my job, right? That's Iosex's job. That's what Awkward's job is. But, but it, it shouldn't have to be that way. I mean, we, this goes into the training range and the practice and the onboarding for new players is horrible. But I think overall, sometimes it's like Overwatch does do a lot of false advertising. We, it isn't really a super great team game where I think the majority of the team play is more of awareness of what your team is doing and trying to synchronize it, but not necessarily really helping them, just doing your own thing at the same time. And then also even the way that a lot of the heroes or the way game functions uh, isn't really exactly what we want. Do we want Rock, Paper, Scissors tank? Do we want a Reinhardt shielding his backline? No, I don't know that we necessarily want that. So I don't. anyway, those, that's my thought. I think a quick hot take maybe, but I, I genuinely believe that Overwatch is impossible to balance. There are so many dials and new characters and new there's just so many you know things interacting with each other that it really doesn't matter what blizzard does no human being honestly i think even in terms of like ai and machine learning it's gonna take decades to even you know get to a point where a game as as complex as overwatch can really be balanced you know if you take a, a look at chess you know, like chess engines that, that figure out what the most optimal plays are, are still evolving. And that game is very, very old, right? So I, I guess a question that I have is, you know, is, is creating a balanced game even, you know, possible? Is that even kind of the goal that Blizzard should go for? Or should the goal just be to make sure that every character is like at least viable and to make changes frequently enough that by the time that people discover a meta, the patch, you know, basically gets rid of that meta, you know, and basically saying, oh, well, it doesn't matter if there are overpowered characters, if by the time people discover them and, and how to abuse that, we'll have changed the game already. I'm going to let Awkward respond. I have a response, but I'm going to let Awkward respond to that. I do agree that Overwatch is a very, very hard game to uh, balance. I, I put some thought into it myself, but then you have to consider what would this change? How would this lead up to me needing to change this guy and this guy and this character and this hero, whatever? Uh, I don't know if it's impossible, but if you look at MOBA games, there's significantly more characters uh, than Overwatch, and they do a pretty good job. So uh, I do think, and also I do think there's a thin line between you know, the game is not so balanced and this character has been OP for months. Oh, it, across all ranks. And I think that's a line that needs to be considered. The patch balances and general balances are really not fast enough. And that approach of balancing more often, I, I do think it's a better, better solution to what we have now. I 100% I agree. I think really the best thing to kind of tackle balance issues in Overwatch is to worry 
less about like each individual patch and just being more responsive and responding to OP characters quicker and just, you know, where's the experimental tab? Why does that not exist anymore? You know, just Blizzard being more communicative about their changes. Like, for example, in the um, in, in 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 the recent patch notes, right? They they made a change to uh, uh, I think it was Cassidy, um, and they, they made two changes, right? They changed his damage fall off so that it starts at twenty five meters instead of twenty, and they changed that he can now combat roll through enemies, like it doesn't get blocked by their hitbox anymore, right? And they they left a comment, uh, you know, and it explained that you know oh combat rolling into enemies wasn't fun, but they didn't even talk about the damage fall of change, which like that's the main. Who cares that you can combat roll through enemies? Like, nice, I guess. But, like, those five meters are huge, you know? And they didn't elaborate on that change at all, you know, saying, oh, we want him to be more competitive with Ash or something. Like, that would have been enough. But I think we need more frequent balance changes. And I, I, I would personally like it if Blizzard was, you know, went a little bit more in depth, you know, explaining why they are making certain changes. I think I have the answer... And the answer is that the the truth would not be popular. And that's <laughs> that's the answer. Is that if they were fully transparent about why they were making certain decisions, people would riot. Which is that there are considerations beyond balance that are the reasons they make certain changes. And that again goes back to like why my philosophy on Overwatch has shifted so much because I I kind of learned to internalize that rather than look at a change and kind of be like this is inexplicable. Like this doesn't make any sense. Like. It's just, it's just weird, but then you kind of have to remember, oh, wait, maybe it's not about balance, actually. Maybe it's just about, like, play rate, you know, like like play percentage. Like, how many right. people are playing this hero? Like, oh, we want more people to play this hero. We want less people to, to... We want this hero to be less popular because it's being played so much or stuff like that, right? So it's right. one of those situations, and I, I think this leads nicely onto the Mercy discussion, which I'm I'm curious a little bit. I don't want to wade too deep in the Mercy waters when before accusations come that, you know, none of you guys are Mercy players. You've, we've shit-dogging us for... But I think that's a good example of like, it, it's confusing. I actually feel bad for Mercy players because I'm like, this is a really confusing change because they said we want to start like, I think this is like one area where actually there's large agreement and somehow this change has come and, and fucked all of it, which is that I feel, I, and I spoke, you know, we had a specific podcast for this. We had the great Mercy debate. I spoke to Mercy players and they were like, yeah, what we really like is the movement. The movement is what the fun part of Mercy is. The movement is why we play Mercy. Yeah, the res, like some of us don't like the res, some of us don't like the blue beam. We're all okay with potentially losing the res, potentially losing the blue beam if it comes at the cost of something else. But the movement, that's us, bro. That's us. In comes blues. And, and, and everyone knows the worst scenario of it is the pocket playstyle. Everyone hates the pocket playstyle. Everyone dislikes going up against someone and they have a mercy attached to them. The mercy's around the corner. You can never kill that guy. That guy blows your head off. What am I supposed to do? Especially concerning everything we spoke about, about being a solo game where... Your, your job is like you're in the game and you're like, I want to win this game for myself. All of a sudden you're in a 2v1 because that's just how Mercy operates. And now you can't even, you, it's, even if you were way better than that guy, you can't overcome that skill. Like you can't overcome that disadvantage. So we have all, this is the context. And then Blizzard comes along. They're like, here are these changes, dog. Like this is going to really prevent Mercy pocketing. And it's like, actually, so you removed her ability to move around, which means she's not going to move around as much. And now you made it so that one person she's pocketing is harder to kill if she's pocketing that person. And now, because the healing kicks in harder at half HP, you're incentivized to damage boost them for longer because, like, the benefit of healing them from half HP is better. So, like, every part of that change makes it harder to do what they said they were going to do. So it feels very confusing. And I don't know if that's a case of, like, 
that is one area where I don't think it's like, oh, they actually want, they, like, there's a nefarious, deeper purpose. I feel like that one is just, it makes, it misses the mark. But I'm curious to your guys' POV. I know, Spilo, you kind of had some thoughts on this. Yeah, I think this is something that I, I, I think I'm, I try to avoid being the negative Nancy. I think it's really easy to, especially to farm views and just, you know, Blizzard oh, sucks, yeah. they're trash, you know, and we don't always under, fully understand the context. And I think, you know, you know, be healthily skeptical, but be respectful. But I will say that the one thing that I think Blizzard has shown a really great, really poor or great, depending on your point of view, track record on is pulling what I call the Blizzard classic, which is seeing a problem and misdiagnosing why the problem actually exists. Uh, and I'm not sure why that's the case, but that has been the case with them for some time. And I'm even going back to GOATS meta. GOATS meta, over-sustain, objective pressure was too long, the stacking of all these things. And what did they do? Well, they kept buffing Reaper in May. <laughs> and anybody who played anywhere near the pro meta knew Reaper in May weren't going to break GOATS meta. It was just never going to happen. And then what happens is they finally go, okay, fine, we give up. We 2-2-2. Two, 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 and Gaud, that's what are the oppressively strong DPS that everybody's playing, Reaper in May. Um, this was even back this as soon as this year with the Junker Queen meta in Overwatch League, and everybody panicked because we don't want Overwatch 2 going live with this brawly, unfun, nobody taking angles, DPS duels meta. So what we're going to do is we're going to take Junker Queen, Lucio, Sojourn, Genji, like the four heroes that we played, and then we got Brig, who's the weakest hero, uh, and we're going to nerf Brig and Spire. And everyone's like, wait, what? Why Brig is not the reason why that composition was played. It was strictly Junker Queen Shout and only Junker Queen Shout, and then obviously Sojourn's Overtune and things like that. Um, but that's the Blizzard classic. And then we look at these Mercy changes right here, right? The, the, the uh, I mean, uh, uh, the Mercy, like, oh, Mercy's a problem. And like you said, we're going to address, we're going to make the hero less fun. We're going to make the hero maybe even weak. But we never actually address the core issues of why she's frustrating to play against. And there's a lot of changes in, in, in these that I think don't do a great job of that. For example, the Wrecking Ball changes. I love the, the I think the, the, the shields was a great thing for increasing uptime. I think the reduction on the slam was also good for increasing uptime. Things that Ball had issues with, especially in Overwatch 2, without giving him the ability to one-shot. Um, but I don't understand the, the Mines buff. I don't, I don't think Mines was ever a weak part of his kit it did its job it wasn't exactly a fight winner every time but it was fine so it's like we're constantly looking at things and saying oh this hero is too strong so we're going to nerf it but we're going to nerf the part so that the hero is still frustrating to play against and the people playing the hero are upset we've made nobody happy um i think that that's that's the blizzard classic and that's what i would like to see changed i don't know why that's the issue but that happens a lot. Oh, another one, another one. The Arisa ability to kill at range was definitely a problem. So I get the 25 to 15 meter range, but are you gonna do that over her survivability? I, I, I don't understand that because the, the, the gun range is what made her more interesting to play. Me having fortify and being never headshot, never killed, well, I, that, that I don't understand. It's, it's, it's like seeing a hero is strong and then nerfing the fun part of her kit. I don't, I don't understand that. Yeah. That's my, that's my, that's my rant. No, I think it's a good one and, and awkward. I'm curious to your thoughts. Again, you're you know you're a support veteran. Uh, you've probably seen some of these changes as well. And what are your thoughts been? Well, the first thing I'd like to address is that you know Spilo says keep it respectful, and I agree. You have to keep it respect. Your feedback has to be respectful. But at the end of the day, you're paying for a product. Let's say I came uh, to get coached by SVB, for example, and he tells me awkward. You're shit at the game. Takes my money and leaves. I have all the rights to be mad. I have all the rights to be you upset. You just described and an SUV coaching session right there. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks for your patronage. And I have all the rights to criticize him being horrible, for example, right? So, but I do think that uh, Blizzard lack, lack of understanding the game is just due to lack of being competent in general. Um, you say that there's a lot of things behind the scene, and I, I surely agree, but 
I think there is a spot where you can make everyone happy and still gain what you're trying to gain. I think it's just being, they're just being lazy. They just don't know what they're doing. I feel like Blizzard are just a bunch of gold players who have no, no idea what, like, what makes a hero good, what makes a hero bad. Um, it's, it's almost like the, the person who makes pen pretends to be the painter. It's, uh, I think they just need to let the people who know what they're talking about give actual feedback about the game. And all of these gold players are saying, hey, but you don't understand the gold experience. Well, the, first of all, I do. The, the, what, what I'm suggesting to be changed, it's not and for top 500. The character should be changed fundamentally so you and I, both gold and, and, and top 500, can enjoy it. I think that it doesn't, it, it's not always gold against good players, like the best elite players, you know? Uh, it could be a mutual handshake. You hit all the bingo cards there, awkward. So I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. glad to hear it. I'm, I'm curious. Actually, one thing really fast. Yeah, go ahead. Go really ahead, fast, fine. really fast. Okay, so I will say this: that um, sometimes pro player feedback sucks, really, really sucks. So I want to, I want to take awkward's feedback and Iosex's feedback and just say we need to bring the experimental patch back. Bring it yes. back. We could do excessive, crazy, maybe over the top, egregious. We can actually take pro players' advice and just plug it right in. People will play it. Reward with loot boxes run the numbers. I feel like that was always like the most healthy way of testing things because it wasn't just about what was actually balanced, but it was also about what was actually fun, you know? And like, I think especially in a casual pro game, but mostly casual game that is Overwatch, you also have to find out what's actually fun and like, whoa, this is actually a really cool change. I never would have thought of that. And there's no downside to it, right? We're not ruining the game for three or four weeks because we overtuned this hero. I, that's my opinion anyway. I'll just feed back off that, which is that obviously I had the chance to talk to uh, Jared and, and John recently, and I, I did ask them about the experimental, and it wasn't on their radar for the time being. So uh, I wouldn't expect, because uh, I asked them about the workshop, experimental workshop obviously came back season three, but experimental is not currently on their priority list. And that is obviously, this is again, the balancing act, right? It's not... <sighs> I, I understand where awkward's coming from, but it's also like, you know, we say lazy. I think that's a that's a dangerous term to use because uh, most often it's usually a resource issue right it's like how many people have the the time to be able to dedicate to the thing that we we think is essential but they the you know maybe some guy higher up the chain is saying is not essential and i imagine experimental is one of those where it's like might be lots of people in the dev team who think yeah actually the experimental would be a good thing to bring back but then when you look at the priority list it might be quite low down and they're like no you know i don't think experimental is gonna is gonna do all that for the game and that's like the reality of it. But yeah, I'm curious, Iostux, uh, any thoughts on what's been discussed there? Okay, we're going to go full circle here. So we talked uh, about this earlier. If you want to improve, you need to be willing to like try stuff out and kind of push the limits a little. And you can't be afraid of, of messing, messing things up. And I think Experimental was just brilliant because it allowed Blizzard to put in these super wacky changes and they were just immune because they didn't need to worry about them breaking ranked or, or breaking the game or anything. It was just experimental. It was just for feedback. And then if it passed that test, then they could, you know, actually do things. So I think that they need to be, like, unnecessarily conservative in their balancing, because every, like, there is no iteration on, on the patches. It's not like they actively communicate, as Awkward said, like they actively communicate with pros or with coaches or whatever. They just make the changes, they push them to live, and then they need to hope that their game is still alive a week later. And, and it, you know, people just haven't left. Um, so 
you know, I don't know if a Blizzard employee is ever going to see this, but I think that experimental is just such a great way to experiment experiment with changes that otherwise just wouldn't be wouldn't be possible. And maybe a certain character just needs a very dramatic change that you know just can't be pushed to live immediately and needs to be experimented on. So those those are kind of my thoughts on experimental. And then the second thing is kind of going back to the mercy changes. So my my personal interpretation of the mercy changes. Um, is actually a little bit different. So uh, the way that I personally interpret the uh, the change where y you heal more when a target is below 50% HP is that Mercy's identity is this, ultimately are her wings, in my opinion. Like when I think of Mercy, I think of movement, you know, just flying all over the place. And I think what that change was meant to do or what Blizzard was, was thinking is that, okay, um, if she can heal people below 50% faster, then instead of just pocketing one person and kind of staying with them forever, she can kind of fly like, oh, someone is critical there, I'm going to top them off real quick, and then I'm going to top this guy off, and kind of alternating, because theoretically, that's going to give her the most healing per second, that's going to get her ultimate the fastest. But then in that same patch, they say, oh, you know, we 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 want to incentivize you, you know, to kind of alternate between players and, and, and be a little bit more of a reactive emergency healer rather than a proactive, I'm just pocketing this one person. Um, but then we're giving you a huge cooldown on your on your GA, you know? So I think that the the changes are like I, I honestly think that the balancing team just I don't think they talk enough with each other. I think that they, you know, maybe have different ideas of like what the different characters' identities are or what direction they want to move in, um, which ultimately results in patches that just are kind of self-conflicting and that either go against the character's identity or where one balance change just goes against another balance change. I mean, something that, I, something ahead, I'd like to address is that some games, for example, let's say Counter-Strike, you know, uh, Valve has a vo workshop where everybody could make a map, everybody could make a skin. And sometimes the, the, the company that chooses through, throughout all the people that are making, they choose something to implement in the game. Now, I feel like the workshop right now that like Overwatch has is pretty, not that great. I feel like it could save them a lot of time and resources because I, I think that a lot of people would do it even for free, like create maps in the workshop and maybe Blizzard can see, okay, look, this, this map is cool, has a lot of votes. A lot of people who voted for it. Maybe we can implement this map. Some people will suggest, okay, let's build a character. Some guy just decides to build a character in Overwatch. Maybe Blizzard will find it a cool concept and see what they can work with. Uh, so when I'm saying lazy, I think they are not using their resource enough. I think there's more reach that needs to be had. There's, I feel like there's zero communication. And also I agree that most pro players, we cannot give you normal, normal advice or normal like structural advice of how to make the game better or how to make balance better but i'm sure that a lot of a lot of people do and that's why a lot of feedback is important that's why experimental was good in the first place so i i, I generally don't understand where the communication is why are they not communicating why are they not, not asking why are they not building platforms where random people can build maps build characters build whatever they want and maybe people will like it well, I just, I, I'm sorry, I just want to mention this real quick because I saw it in chat and I think it's so good. Someone wrote that the reason Blizzard doesn't want a good workshop is because of Dota. And who knows, maybe if the workshop was like actually really well, good, someone is going to come up with like an amazing game mode that's just going to steal Overwatch's player base. Well, this is actually something I wanted to respond to anyways, which is, uh, to, to Awkward's point, again, uh, the answer is going to be the same. It's it's about resource like management and 
firstly on the Dota issue, they actually already like they already actually solved this from their own end because when they so for for context again, anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about, uh, Dota, the whole MOBA genre invented uh, in a World Warcraft Three, one of Blizzard's games in the custom custom game. You could make custom games and had a map editor in Warcraft Three. They made Dota Defense of the Ancients. It was a popular like essentially the way you play modes in the workshop right now. I don't know five mercies, one Reinhardt. There was Dota back then, and it, it became essentially more popular than the base game itself. Spawned the entire genre, and you know, now we have League of Legends and Dota. Problem was, Blizzard didn't capitalize on it quickly enough. They let it just sit there uh, as part of their custom games. Eventually, uh, League of Legends, you know, Riot made League of Legends with the same idea, and then Valve made Dota with with the developer Ice Frog who made Dota. Um, and Blizzard missed the boat. By the time they made Heroes of the Storm, it was too late because they didn't have any legal right over the game mode itself. Actually, they solved this issue in when they made Warcraft 3 Reforged. They actually put in a clause which upset the community wildly, but said anything made in Warcraft 3 Reforged in the custom game belongs to Blizzard. So they already addressed like basically anything made, and I'm, I'm sure this, I don't know if I've read this, what, what the thing for it is in, in Overwatch, but I would hazard that if they were to add ever to implement a map editor, they would almost certainly implement at the same time if it doesn't already have that anything made in the map editor with Overwatch belongs to Blizzard and they reserve the right to kind of do what with that IP what they will. The again, I think the answer why they have not done that is from a from the dev perspective, you gotta understand. It it almost it's a it's a really bad look to say that our way of of like putting resources into our game is to let other people make stuff. Right to say we're gonna spend months of dev time to enable other people to make stuff in our game, instead of putting out a hero because it it really is, a it's like a either or situation. It's like there's only so many devs working on so many things, so the map editor coming out for Overwatch, which would be great. Don't get me wrong, I think it would be amazing. I think it would like blow minds for how much Overwatch works. But that again, it's like the corporate ideology of it would be, okay, but then we're not putting out a hero for like a season, maybe two seasons. Like they, they don't put out a hero. Community is mad. Community will then say, and again, the casual community will probably engage with the work, work, uh, with the uh, map editor anyways. They won't engage with the arcade mode probably anyways. So they're going to look at it and say, well, I came for the new heroes. I came for the new content. You didn't give me that. I'm out. Peace. They're not necessarily going to be like, oh, but we got the map editor and look at all the fun maps people are making now, right? That maybe is a long-term benefit. But in the short term, it hurts. And if there's one thing we know about, you know, gigantic stock market AAA companies is that they prioritize the short term over everything else. So I think that's basically your answer, Awkward, for like, why why, why don't they just put out the map editor? Because it would come at the cost of two heroes and some good skins or something. And that's something they're not willing to do. Fair enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I just think it would be too much of like a, a kind of a long-term investment. And I think that's... Blizzard has just kind of garnered so much kind of development depth at this point, you know, where with every patch they release, they just need to think about more stuff, you know, and, and certain things become more outdated. Um, so I'm a personally a little bit concerned about, you know, how sustainable, um, you know, the, the active development of Overwatch is, is, is going to be. And that's kind of one of the, there's like a little devil on my shoulder um, that actually really roots for Overwatch's monetization to work and for people to just spend a bunch of money on like 20 euro skins. Because I like I personally think that, you know, Overwatch in its current form needs significantly more resources than it gets right now to really catch up, you know, and and, and, and kind of fix most of the issues that it has. 
Uh, go ahead and elaborate on that. Like, in, in, in what way? You just want, like, more devs, more more time? Well, so, so okay, so there, there's kind of two sides to this, right? So on one hand, you need to create new content because ultimately that's what, what, what brings people in, right? New maps, new heroes, etc., right? But then, you know, as, as Awkward, you know, mentioned earlier, you know, some maps, you know, could use a rework. You know, like, they've brought Numbani back this season, um, and Numbani first point is still just terribly designed right but creating a patch and saying hey guys so we 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 uh, changed numbani first point that's not as exciting as like guys we made a map with a penguin so i think that ah. if blizzard has more resources then they don't need to kind of compromise you know they can dedicate time to reworking old characters changing up the maps uh, maps communicating more with the pro scene pro coaches in terms of balancing you know investing more time into internal playtesting maybe even inviting pro players for regular internal playtesting right you know those are all great things that just require a lot of time and resources um, and, and I feel like Overwatch 1 was kind of in this vicious cycle where because it was just a buy once game, they just got a lot of money at the start and then they could just develop the game a lot. But then over time, it just wasn't as profitable and, you know, Overwatch League wasn't as profitable maybe as, as they have liked. So now with the transition to the free to play model, every single piece of content they create is, is money, you know, like I, I'm, I'm going to admit it. I spent 10 euros to get that B Mercy skin, you know, <laughs> Because I just kind of, I just need that in my life. Um, and that's money that ultimately Blizzard can use to pay a designer, you know, to maybe take a look at, at, at a map and, and, and move a box around or, or, you know, add an extra flank route or something. Um, so that's kind of my, my you know, pers perspective where I think um, the more resources they have, the more content they can create. And, you know, that's ultimately what we need. I also like to add on the maps topic is that Blizzard could get immediate feedback on what maps they should change if they just put a voter on what map people want to play, five on five, get into a match. Okay, let's vote what maps we want to play, what maps we don't want to play. Nobody wants to play Havana, nobody wants to play Colosseo, nobody wants to play New Queen Street, and you'll see nobody plays those modes. So why the fuck did we make them in the first place? Time for a change. You know, at least it, it, it boils down to what uh, maps need to be reworked. Because a lot of maps have a lot of problems. I can, I can name you each problem on each map fairly easily, which, again, makes me question the competence of the people that are making the map or changing the maps. If I'm an individual can tell you exactly what it is that is wrong with the map, what point needs to be changed and why, how come a company can't do it? I think if we had map votes, uh, like, yes, that would probably give them a lot of data about which maps are most popular. But I feel like, you know, it, it already, like last season, it kind of felt like we were just playing Colosseo over and over and over and over again. I feel like if map votes come in, even if only the best maps get voted, we'll just kind of get sick of them after a while. Like, I love King's Row, you know? I don't want to play it like 10 so, times in a row. Sorry for cutting you off there, but it's the reason why it felt so bad is because they were shoving these maps down our throats, but yes, nobody wanted to true. play them, you know? So yeah. at least you can say, okay, a majority voted for it. So we can play this. Nobody should feel sad about it. It's a majority vote. But when I play Colosseo and nobody wants to play that mode, everybody's in calm saying, what the fuck? I don't know the map. It's a shit map. I hate this map. Well, no shit that people are not going to like it. Well, there's, there's sort of two points to that. And I'm starting to feel like the bad guy here. But I think point A would be, again, in the, in the model of like, well, new content is the best in terms of just player engagement, right? Like the best thing you can do for the game 
is make new stuff rather than better stuff i guess so that's that's the that's the model we live in right it's like new stuff over be over over stuff that's better like balanced stuff that's better in that scenario again it's like why would you spend ages making a map only for people to not play it and especially cuz you want new and casual players to come in and play it and if that's getting banned out let's say that would be bad that your new content is now gone like people are not getting to access your new content secondly i think the devs might argue that the players don't always know what's best for them because i think the number one demonstration would be the gaslight movement of bring back 2cp of a, a swathe of players who, who who've truly convinced themselves that 2cp was what we need in our lives and that they missed 2cp and i wonder if like they would say well if we gave you map votes you guys would do something like that where you would like you know, you'd gaslight yourselves into just playing these maps, then you'd hate them, and then you'd be like, bring back those other maps that we missed, and then, you know, you'd, you'd it's, I guess the dev POV is like, it's almost better that we just, we just tell you, like, you, we just give, we decide, like, you guys play this, and we can rotate it at our pace, rather than, like, let you guys fuck it up, basically. It depends on, like, who you're trying to cater to as well, you know, like, we, we, we play a really awkward game for, like, I mean, we think about a game, we're talking about MOBAs, right, Age of Empires 2, one of the greatest games of all time, arguably, phenomenally balanced, even to this day, um, has a remarkably consistent and competitive pro scene, constantly updated, constantly balanced, um, just a great game, right, but if I'm talking to, you know, 15 year old somebody new to gaming uh, maybe somebody a little bit older my first suggestion isn't going to be to try out age of empires 2 right even with the pve and casual side of things that, that that's not a game that caters very well to that so the game doesn't cater to that when it's designed you know it doesn't we don't care if there's an easy sieve for you to pick up you you get good or you play pve that's, that's those are your options overwatch tries to do everything um I think it tries to check all the boxes. It's casual, it's competitive, it's it's PVE, it's PVP. Uh, you know, it's it's great for fun for bronze players. It's great fun for top 500 players. It's Overwatch League, it's, it's bronze. Um, and it really struggles to figure out where its identity is. You know, do you want, do we want more? And if this even goes back to balance, right? Do we want more to be a trash tier here? Well, how many of the casual community really upset? I mean, we have hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Mercy mains who love the hero design and you know they make a lot of money off of every single new mercy skin so if you take those people off you're not making money uh if you're not releasing new i mean that's part of the reason why overwatch one died like iostex was saying is there just was nothing there was nothing for years no communication no nova and the game was actually pretty well balanced but there was nothing you know there was actually nothing so of course the game was dead even though it was relatively well balanced so to me it's about you have to find where where do we fall in that spectrum? How important is the pro player, the, the top 500 GM player? How fair, how important is the bronze, silver, gold player? I think you should try to balance more for the higher ranks, but you can't just balance for the higher ranks. And I think that's where it becomes as uh, um, what am I trying to say? It becomes a, a a a goal of trying to find what are the low hanging fruits. As a casual player, what do casual players love? I'm an idiot. I don't know. I could probably guess it's probably a new hero, new skin, new game mode, something fun. They're going to like that. So that needs to be their priority. It's something along those lines. What do pro players? Well, I have probably a better idea of what that is. Better communication and more frequent and more aggressive balance changes. Uh, and then, like Awkward was saying, some of these major map issues, like, for example, Coliseo, remove the glass. Remove the glass on the robot. The map is, first fight is all of a sudden significantly better. That's all it takes. Just remove the glass. 
The glass is not part of the identity of the map. Remove the glass. And so when I'm a pro player and I that just continues to be a horrifically designed map and nothing is done and it feels like that's such an easy fix and I don't hear anything about it, that's where I think people get tucked off. Kiriko Sojourn, meta for months, 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 and yet now we're going to do a little tidbit there, do a little tidbit there. That to me is where the low-hanging fruit line is crossed to me. I'm not angry that Orissa was meta for a little period of time. Uh, she was a little overtuned. She's she's she, she got her nerves. She's probably not going to be as meta right now. Okay, we're good. But uh, I think a lot of pro players were right to be irritated the Kiriko and Sojourn nurse because uh, or the the lack of aggressive Sojourn nurse because that was where I think the line crosses from being we're being nitpicky. Nothing is ever going to be perfect. We have to balance between casual and pro. And for crying out loud, this is this is absurd. If that makes any sense, and I think that's where we have to find the balance there. What are the most egregious issues that are affecting pro players and casuals? and try and address those first. And that's where, even though as a community, we don't always know what we want, generally most people can probably agree that those objectively are good changes. And, if, and, you, and you see it because they do eventually get changed, but just at an unbelievably slow rate. I think the main reason why balance changes are so irresponsive is because a lot of the consequences and effects that balance changes have, um, you know, they affect win rate and pick rate kind of in a staggered way. So if, if Blizzard releases a nerf for Sojourn, for example, um, it, it doesn't even really matter what nerf it is. The pick rate is just going to decrease because some people think, oh, Sojourn got nerfed. I'm going to try picking up another character, right? Um, even though they didn't even put any thought into like the actual strength of the character. So then, you know, they need to wait and see, you know, over the next weeks after the change, how does that affect, affect her win rate, right? And then now just imagine if it's not just one change, imagine if it's multiple changes affecting one character, right? Um, because... The problem is that Overwatch is trying to balance a system based on statistics that are not very responsive. Win rate is not super responsive. Pick rate is not is is, is you know it's it's not the color correlation just isn't isn't always there. So instead of you know quantitatively based balancing where they just look at you know getting each number as close to fifty percent as possible, ultimately the question should be. Okay, is our game right now fun? What is fun? What is not fun? Oh, getting one shot by Sojourn is not super fun. Okay, um, you know how can we how can we remove that? You know without making the character herself you know less fun to play, right? So not relying so much on you know statistics and kind of living in this ideal world where you can just look at numbers and balance a game by looking at spreadsheets, but, you know, actually understanding the players, both, you know, talking with pro players as well as seeing what the casual players think. And, you know, instead of trying to just get numbers to where they want them to be, trying to aim for an experience where everyone can just say, okay, maybe this game isn't perfectly balanced, but like, I'm having fun. You know, this guy is having fun. And, you know, it just needs to be balanced enough to where people don't quit the game, you know? Because I'm, I'm gonna be honest, I personally, I would consider myself a pretty casual player right now. Balance is like important to me to a certain extent, but as long as nothing is just ludicrously broken, you know, Blizzard can get me back each season with a new map, you know? If there's, I'm, you know, with, with a new hero, I'm just going to play the game just based on that. I have a friend who is a, a huge uh, Widowmaker you know, a fan. And, you know, honestly, when when the, the last season came out, you know, the Widow skin was amazing. And like that alone, honestly, was was just reason enough to kind of come back to the game and just have have, have fun. Um, so I think it's important to, you know, 
think of balance less as just a numbers game, but more so how it affects the overall gameplay experience that people have and optimizing for that. I do think player perception is really important when it comes to balance. Because yeah. stuff tends to be sticky, you know? People want to play Kiriko even though Ana may be technically better, so sometimes you kind of have to give the perception of guys you don't have to play Kiriko anymore, you know, even if... I don't know. I, I agree with Stux. I think the, the numbers only... The impression that we've been getting is that they balance strictly off of win rates and stats, and I think that kind of turns people off a little bit. Um, yeah. And, 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 and really quick, uh, then I'm sorry for talking so much. Actually, I think GOATS was a perfect example of this because GOATS got so deep that it was just kind of a self, you know, like an Ouroboros just circling in on itself because GOATS was played so much that teams have like invested so many resources into perfecting that one comp that quite frankly, like we've kind of reached a point at the end where nerfing GOATS didn't even really do anything because it doesn't matter how shit GOATS is, investing time now to like learn new characters and learning new compositions, you know, like it doesn't matter because playing a bad, like technically badly performing comp really, really well because we've practiced it for six months, you know, we're still going to beat those guys who've been playing dive for three days, you know? And I think that's also an issue with just balancing from a casual perspective where certain changes, honestly, they just take time, you know, especially bigger changes like Roadhog's playstyle now is completely different, you know? And, and obviously he's not in a super good spot right now, but who knows, you know, maybe someone is going to just figure out how to make the most of that kit. And then we look at this balance change completely differently. Yeah. I, th I, I want to hear Awkward's take on all this because we've gone on for a while. Awkward, anything you want to... I think that it's... Uh, you need numbers and statistics. They need, they need context behind them. So why are the people picking this much? Why? I feel like the changes are purely off statistics, just like Iosux and, and Spiral said, but there's no context as to why people play this, as to why the pick rate's so high, why the pick rate's so low. Um, there are a lot of things that need to be changed about the game. And I want to address one character specifically. Now, I would like to talk about Widow because Widow is a very, very common, common thing that rises up. I was personally a believer, and I still do, that if you die to a Widow, it sounds like a skill issue. It's a you issue, you could have played it better, right? But when, when I coach a lot of people and I watch them play against a Widow across all ranks, everybody all of a sudden play differently just because she exists in the server. Doesn't matter if it's a Bronze Widow that is not going to hit the shot ever in her life, or it's the best widow you have seen in your life. Everybody just plays different. So now the idealistic approach is what let's teach everybody how to play against widow. But then comes a, it's like kind of a, there comes an, a thing where you can say, you know what? If everyone is having issues, instead of doing the hard work and teaching them how to play against that character, maybe we'll just change it to so it will be more comfortable for people to play against. That's why also why Soldier was so oppressive, for example. Soldier in the server, everybody started running around like headless chicken. They forget their fundamentals. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they, they want to do. They, they just cry all the time. Eh, I got one shot, I got one shot, whatever. But something needs to be changed about it. Yeah, I, I think it's like a really good good level of nuance as well. Like one, one other thing I wanted to chime in personally was like, what, what kind of frustrated me when they when they did, you know, I'm glad they, they are communicating more. Like they did that little talk with Seagull. And it was it was nice to hear from them. But when they showed that graph of like Sojourn and, and, and Hog and stuff, one thing that frustrated me was like them being like, hey, look, the win rate fell. And I was kind of sat there like, well, yeah, no shit, you nerfed the character. Like, so of course, all the people who play the character are going to be worse at the character. Like, is this not like a basic of what the win rate 
Like, should not this be basically accounted for? That, like, you nerf a character, people who potentially farmed hundreds, especially when a character's been left for a long time, like Sojourn had, like, people have farmed potentially hundreds of SR off this character, now you made the character weaker, people but worse at character. Like, this is surely basic, basic logic, so... It is a little bit frustrating when they, when they, and they will emphasize we do more than just numbers, guys. We do more than just numbers. We talk about player feel. We we take all this into account. But it, it's frustrating, I think, when when you're already questioning the decision, and then the, the the justification after that is like, oh, but the numbers say this, and you're like, well, then you know, you're then the numbers are meaningless because they're not telling you the right thing. So, yeah, There's no context. No. It doesn't, yeah, or not the right context, right? It's like, stats can be misleading. I think sometimes people think that, like, stats are objective, but, like, any stat you selectively can lead you to a, to a wrong conclusion, right? And I think being like, oh, the win rate is down, it means we nerfed her too much. It's like, no. And and they kind of acknowledged it themselves. They were like, oh, you know, sometimes it takes a while for win rates to level out after we change a character, like Orisa. We changed her, people were bad at her to start with when in Overwatch 2, and then later people realized how to play her. And it's like, yeah. Why why can't you see that for Sojourn also? That like when you nerf her, people will be bad at her for a while until they figure out, okay, this is how we play Sojourn now. Or Roadhog. People will figure out how to play Roadhog eventually. Give them a little bit of time. And they'll figure out, okay, this is how we play Roadhog now that I can't perma flank in the backline and one-shot squishy so easily, right? Like, okay, now I got to play him different. So, and the, the one other point I want to add cause before we can start, I know I've taken a lot of you guys' time, so I'm going to start winding down here. But the one other point I wanted to add was that Another reason why I don't think they balance as dynamically as before is, and they've kind of alluded to this, well, it takes them two weeks to lock in a build, right? So they like, and they said this themselves. They were like, well, look, we've got to lock in a build in advance. So we put in the change. Then we see, then like, you know, so let's say they've locked in two weeks beforehand. This is the change. In that two week time period, people are like, actually, we hate this now. We hate this now, Blizzard. Change this now. Then the, the thing drops. It doesn't address the thing that we said we hate now. And now another two weeks later, it takes them, th then the, the thing drops. Then after two weeks more of that, they lock in a new build. And that's, again, two weeks staggered. So it's like this this long chain of catching up to, like... And all of it is really console's fault. So let's blame the console community for all this. Because this is <laughs> mostly, a, a, you know, a sort of certification problem with, with Microsoft and Sony. So it's, it's one of those unfortunate realities. Again, bal the balancing after Overwatch. We want to be a game that's cross-platform, that everybody across the world plays, whether it's on the Nintendo Switch or on the... $30,000 gaming PC that's like high-end, whatever, right? All of those should be playing Overwatch and all of those needs should be met and that requires things like this to be a reality and you know, I, I think sometimes we underestimate the scale of Overwatch of like just how much, how big it is and, and what a machine it is like even, even to its, what we thought was a dead game it was still really popular in, in, in China and that's, that's sad to say right now because people can't play it in China <laughs> Um, too soon. Too soon. Too soon. Too <laughs> real. Um, but you know, it, this is the reality. It's like we forget that, like, just how popular the game is, and 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 how many different kinds of people play it. So, I think okay. that's where like casual players and pros can can really focus on shoot. Like, like I said, the low hanging fruits. Just making that easier from like a developer standpoint. But like trying to choose our battles. You know what I'm saying? Are we going to sit here and cry that symmetric turrets are still AI and auto lock and like? it's just not the biggest priority right now, you know? So it's like, you have to kind of, I think as a community, try, try and if, try and choose your battles. What, what's the most important thing as a casual, as a professional that's really bothering you? Is it the easy change that you can't believe that's happened? Is the Kiriko and Soja that have been meta for four, five, four, six, however many months? That, that's where we need to be putting our attention to and not screaming and complaining about all these 
little things like this and that. And it's really, I think, choosing our battles as much as we can. Um, I think Awkward's right that, you know, they are professionals. They need to do the job the way that it's supposed to be done. However, at the same time, because it's more of an art, we can provide as best as we possibly can uh, accurate feedback by trying to really prioritize a sense of prioritization rather than just endlessly spewing noise, which may or may not be accurate. But, you know, what if you were to say, like, what are your, your biggest issues with Overwatch as a pro or as a casual? You would need to know that answer if you were to actually give feedback, I think. 100%. Any other thoughts you guys want to chime in on that front, uh, Awkward or Iostux? No, not for me. Okay. But I cool. think you guys hit the nail on the head. Yeah. Okay. Well, on that on that note, then I'm going to start winding us down towards the end. Again, it's been a fantastic talk. So, And I always like to kind of end these with like a, a look to the future and, and something potentially a little bit optimistic. So I'm going to kind of ask you guys then, you know, we've we kind of got season three now and uh, it, it's been nice to see them experiment with a lot of things. I'm actually really surprised with that being said about the two-week thing. I'm really surprised they dropped the mercy changes as hard as they did. Because like, it's it's so funny to see them dance around stuff like Kiriko and Sojourn and then just kind of bring this really significant change to Mercy like all at once and just leave it there. But I wonder if that's also part of their plan to be like, you know what? People said no hero to season three. Mercy's a new hero now. Off you go. Like go go nuts, right? So I wonder if that's part of their strategy to kind of cause this sort of large discussion point so that we're we're, we're feeling like there's something really pressing happening. Um, but my question to you guys would be, well, what do you want to see in, let's say, the short to midterm as changes to Overwatch, like to, to please you personally, like what do you kind of want to see them shift? Is it like a specific balance stuff? Is it more macro stuff or you're like, I want them to start focusing on this more. Is it map design? Is it like, actually, I just want them to stop, think about the map design and make them, you know, balance the maps like the way a Valorant would, where it's like every angle is thought about and every like sight line is, is, is calculated, right? So I'm going to take it to Iosucks first. So first of all, I, I honestly think Overwatch 2 just does like a lot of things right. Obviously, we've been kind of, you know, crapping on them a little bit. But like overall, I, I like especially with, with with the way they've been communicating about matchmaking and, and map pools and whatever over the past. And, you know, even them stating their intent to just completely get rid of map pools for season four. I, I personally really like that. I think map pools are like nonsensical. I just want, you know, variety person. It's like a, not like CS where you need to practice specific smoke setups or something for each map. So honestly, you know, the more variety, the merrier, at least for me. Um, really, the only thing that that I think is a priority is that right now the way that competitive is structured for the majority of the player base is just not a very, you know, motivating experience. You know, like they made the change to you know it only requiring five five wins, um, but honestly. I, I think they're like still a little bit unsure. You know, they they they're kind of stuck on this new system. They just they don't just want to abandon it immediately. And honestly, I don't know what they need to do. But you know, I just want to have you know a ranked system that you know kind of works for for everyone, where you have like continuous like just a sense of progress and always something to look forward to. You know, because right now ranked is just you know you play games every every once in a while. You know, you get a little little boost mentally because you're ranked up uh, at the end you can buy your 27th golden gun 
which nobody even cares about. Like, why are there no other rewards by now? You get like a title. Um, you can't even really flex with your rank because nobody can see your rank by default. Your profile is private. In the loading screen, there are no ranks anymore. Five hundred so just... open queue, by the way. But <laughs> right, yes. five hundred. Like, yeah, it's open queue. Yes, yeah, right. Open... So honestly, I just I want like. When I started playing competitive games a long time ago, I played League for the first time. And I saw that loading screen border of, like, a challenger player, you know? That was, like, so, like, cool to me, you know? But, like, I, I personally just haven't... Maybe I'm getting old, but I just personally don't get that sense anymore, you know, in Overwatch, where I, I look at a top 500 player, and, you know, instead of thinking, oh, man, I'm playing with someone really good, you know? Like, is this awkward? You know, it's like, oh, you know, I guess he just abused four tanks in open queue, you know? Um, so yeah, I want Rank to just kind of get that sense of prestige back. Yeah, I think on the ti on the title thing, it's actually quite comical because like nine or ten times when I see someone's title, I'm like, that's almost certainly a lie. Like whatever they're, they're showing right now, whether it's like top 500 challenger, I'm like, that's open queue <laughs> or... It's like if they're match made as as the tank in the lobby, I'm like, yeah, they got that on support. Like, there's no, like, yeah, there's no yeah. way they they yes. got it on the role they're at currently. So it's like, I wish that I think a simple solution to that would be you can only show the the title for the thing you're queued up as, right? So if it's like if you're showing top under challenge, it only shows for when you're actually playing the role you got the thing on, not like. You know, you you one trick whatever hero to, to top hundred, and you're like flexing on everyone else on every other thing. So let's that's go one back to showing note. everyone's ranks. <laughs> that too. That that would be a nice alternative as well, or both. Why not both? Why um, not both? Awkward. What about you, man? What's what's your kind of short to midterm desires? In terms of specifics, there's there are too many to mention. So I'd like to address something very general. I would prefer uh, Overwatch to address first of all what it, that the the feedback has been received. We're working on this, even though it might take some time. And the second thing is just more frequent, frequent changes, ad adapted specifically to the feedback that is given. Not, okay, Sojourn is OP, let's nerf Mercy. You know, it makes no sense. It's uh, so a little bit more transparent, a little bit faster. Okay, short and sweet. And uh, on that note, Spilo. I'm not creative at all. I'll just echo what they said, basically. I think ISX is 100% right. The matchmaking, uh, showing rank, uh, even the, the rank rewards for the end of the season. I think, especially if you're trying to encourage get people to improve and play at the game, um, what's, what we've kind of created is like a, a, a... The rank system has created a lot of questions about am I losing games because I'm queued with a gold tank or am I losing games because I'm actually just bad? And I think, like we talked about earlier, the, the heavy discrepancy in matchmaking right now, um, I know the queues are probably faster, but I think that there needs to be a little bit more nuance. I don't think pros or GMs or masters would be too unhappy if they had to wait a little bit longer so we didn't have people three ranks lower than me in the lobby. I don't think that's a good experience for either player. Um, overall ranked matchmaking, all that needs to... I just I don't like the current system, period. Anything about it. Uh, I think more communication from the devs in terms of what their plans are would be great. I think we have technically more communication than we've had at times in the past, but a lot of the communication feels like oh, this is what we did, this is why we did it. And then we start, you know, people complain, have issues, this is what we're, we don't hear anything, don't hear anything, don't hear anything. And then, boom, and then we release another update, okay, this is why we did it. And even then they're not communicating as well. So I think more frequent communication with like what the plans are, what we're trying to do, uh, like Aqua was saying, maybe a prior, making sure that we're prioritizing the right things. Um, 
I don't know, more more general stuff. But I think the game itself is fun. Uh, it's just I think a lot of the the structure, the way they approach balance, or the way they approach the the, the competitive mode, isn't isn't great. Yeah, I think I think that's one area where. The devs would probably be like, man, you guys complain about everything. Because like, when we have long queue times, you guys complain. When we have right. short queue times, you guys complain. And I think right. that's, again, where as a dev, you have to kind of probably just go, I have to decide what the worst thing is. Like, right. They're going to complain on both sides. I, right. I guess this this has been the issue with like team queue, right? Like Because this this is another issue that games always face is if you, if you have like a separate team queue, people will be like, oh, well, why do I have to queue up for a separate thing? I just want to play. But then if you let stacks play in your solo queue, then people get upset as well, where they're like, oh, right. um, you know, you're punishing me, like, because I'm a solo queue and the stacks are going up against me. So it's like, the, right. whatever option you choose, someone's going to be upset. But I think it's the lowest hanging fruit, like decision. I said. Yeah. Right? We, we, we don't, we, it's okay to queue with masters, but we just don't want plats. I don't, and plats should never be in the GM lobby, ever. Never. Not once. Right. And we should hopefully never have a 30, 25, 20 minute queue. Right. So it's like, to me, it's like the outliers are the ones that really stick in your head as a really negative experience that doesn't make you want to play anymore. So if we can, okay, there's a lot of, I have a lot of masters in my GMs games. I can live with that. Right. I can live with a 10, 12 minute queue as you know, it's the outliers that really tick people off and make people not want to play anymore. And to me, I think that's, that's, it's like I said, it's always a sense of priorities. I think when it comes to these kind of things. True. I think that's that's pretty much. I'm sure how the devs would say as well sums up how they have to do things. It's like priority, 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 resource, resource, right. resource. What can we do now? Right. What right. what can we push back for later? Hey, uh, and one so, more time, screw yeah. Bobby Kotick. Yeah, just, just once, middle one finger more time. to Bobby Kotick. One more time. Yeah. One more Shame time. To Fuck that guy. That guy. Yeah. Fuck that guy. Um, yeah, this is this is when Blizzard gonna cut me off the air. So I appreciate my guest very much, guys. Thank you so much for joining me. Please go show these guys some love. If you watch this on YouTube, as I know so many of you do, or on your uh, Spotify slash podcast services, yes, awkward. Can I say one last thing? I want to yes, cycle back to the beginning of our conversation. Well, the first me and Spiral seem to be on the same page. Uh, you know, Iostux was the opposition in the beginning, but we seem it seems like Iostux, you agree with me on a lot of things that I say. You just might not agree with the way I phrased this, right? So I just want to make, you know, just wanted to know where if you still agree, if you still disagree with what I say, or just disagree with how I say it, because these are two different things. I still think unranked to GM is very morally questionable um, and ultimately, you know, hurts the gameplay experience more than it helps. But I do think that your mindset overall is something that a lot of people would gain, you know, to, to benefit from if they would adopt that mindset. Um, so I'm not quite going to like change change my stance. I'm still against uh, unranked to gem. I'm still against smurfing. Um, but I I think you have a winner's mindset, and I think just like that alone is something that you know people can take a lot, you know, away uh, away from. And I think there's definitely educational value in, in, in the content that you make. And another thing that I'd like to mention is that Spilo, because you were speaking about Hadi and how he went to the gym, you seem like a person who really respects endeavors outside of just video games. You want people to not only be good at video games, but you want them to be outside, good outside of it, which is yes. something, it's something that I'm trying to push to all the people that are watching. In general, if, you're be, if you can be competent in a video game, it seems a little bit ridiculous to say, but you can be competent at other things. If you can go from, let's say, gold to plat, it means you can probably go from 10K, uh, 10K a month to 15K a month at your job, just because you understand the process of learning. 
you need to improve all aspects in your life. Not because we as gamers, we have a really bad rep. Oh, this guy's a nerd. This guy has no social life. This guy's that. This guy's that. It's very important to truly believe in yourself. And that's why I push people to be better. It seems ridiculous that I push people to be people like, oh, but you, it's, you know you're talking about Overwatch. People spend hundreds and thousands of hours playing video games and they're stagnant and not moving. And this is a notion that only exists in gaming. Nobody, no, nowhere else where you would see this kind of behavior accepted towards themselves. A person that goes to the gym for three years and has no results has all the right to be upset with himself. A person that is going to a boxing gym, he's been training for three years, and a person, a new person comes in and smokes him should feel bad about themselves. And if you're a person who truly wants to be better and you're stuck, you really need to take you really need to rethink, look inside. What can I do better? And if you can do better in Overwatch, you can do better at other aspects in your life. And that's very, very important because you don't want to be that guy who is just good at video games and has nothing else going for him because you are truly, truly talented because you understand and truly a smart person if you can understand how to go from goal to GM because it takes a lot of learning. It's not a skill to be underestimated motivational i might have to add some like epic music in the background in the post post uh, edit of that just when we put this up on youtube but yeah thank you no, it's a very nice note to leave it on i think and it, uh, hopefully people find uh you know kind of some some things here to take away that maybe make them feel more motivated or more inspired or just better about themselves and also i think always healthy to have a little bit of disagreement and a bit of uh i respect your stance but i choose to disagree with it and i think that's that's kind of why i wanted to have this uh podcast because you know it's nice to see healthy discussions had, and I, I like to see people who, I, who, again, whose opinions I respect, express those opinions and why they might disagree much better than Twitter.com. Um, so, yeah, again, like I said, thank you very much, guys, for joining me. Uh, their socials will always be in the description of this video. So if you watch, please go show these guys some love. Three very uh, distinct coaching styles there as well for any of you who want to get some coaching done. Pick your poison. You know, what do you like? Uh, although Spilo's much nicer to hear than he is as a coach. I promise you right now, he's going to yell at you uh, if you actually hire him. So bear that in mind. Maybe a little bit. Maybe a little bit. But yeah, thank you very much, guys. I hope you have a fantastic day. Thank you so much for joining me. And uh, that's, uh, that's it from us. Peace out.